0: Hello and welcome to another Quarren stream, I am of course Joe Magician, and today we'll be talking about another character that haunts a song of ice and fire long after their death. Fame for her love of beating up squires, blue winter roses, emo boy harp music, and riding horses like the wind, that's right, our topic today is none other than Lyanna Stark. Think of this sort of as a partner to my discussion a few weeks ago about the return of Rhaegar Targaryen, that even though both of these lovers, I guess, are long dead, their influence continues to be felt in a song of ice and fire all the way to today. And joining me today is the Lyanna Stark expert. I'm going to go ahead and start out there. The expert on Lyanna Stark. That is, of course, Lady Gwyn of Radio Westeros. Hi, Lady Gwyn.
1: Hello. Hey, thank you for inviting me to be here today. Happy to be here to talk about one of my favorite subjects.
0: Very much so. I mean, you go on Lady Gwyn's blog. And there is just nonstop Liana related content, top to bottom, Arthurian connections, Blue Winter Roses, the whole shebang.
1: Yep. And I have one of my several Liana <laughs> Stark t shirts on today. <laughs> so, oh, yeah.
0: I need to get one of those Sanrixian ones. Do you have one of those?
1: I her? do. Yeah, oh. I wore that a couple of days ago, so I couldn't, couldn't recycle that. But this is, uh, this is Jen Snow, um, this blue rose This promised oh. me. Yeah, my newest edition. So. <laughs> <laughs> Need
0: all, all the lady, lady, Must, neon yeah. and stuff.
1: <laughs> Must have them all.
0: <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, um, before we get going, I just wanted to do all the YouTube things at the very top, you know, slam that like button, subscribe if you haven't, hit the bell button. If um, we get to 150 likes, where is it? Up here, the old Gandalf hat will go on. We'll say 175, I'll put on my germ hat with the old lady turtle gem on it because he actually does have one of those. Although I looked his up and his is like several thousand dollars, his little turtle pin. I found the artist that actually made it. I was like, holy shit, George, you went all in on that turtle pin. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> that's, yeah, <laughs> that's no. just kind of like how he rolls. And I want to uh, also say thank you to all the new patrons since my last episode um that is christina dillsdale flinted steel clopping arguments i try to pronounce that one uh kenneth hammer preston porter um kate she calls herself crimson kate but she also goes by late women of ice and fire i think on streams and the latest one today from uh, melissa uh westbrook so thank you guys so much for signing up and also At the $5 patron level. I don't know if you guys saw this. I've been trying to hype it up, but I understand why people are not that excited. It's uh, I did a patron episode about Meat House Man analyzing George's worst story. Well, most people think it's his worst story. (laughs) It's a pretty hard one. Um, About 45 minutes long. um, Sign up at the $5 patron level. You guys get access to that along with, uh, I believe, what are the other ones? talking about the expanse with Ashea Shea from history mm-hmm. of Westeros. And I think there's a couple others with gray area and Eliana, but that's going to be, um, a continuing thing going forwards. I'm going to be doing patron episodes, analyzing George's old works because a lot of them are pretty good, but they also, the way he writes, a lot of them connect back to a song of ice and fire in interesting ways because he just loves reusing these names. Like for instance, um, in his first one a song for leah liana leah he reuses the names the characters um all these other concepts continue to crop up because of it always seems like he's honing whatever these old stories are just trying to rewrite them and i always find that really interesting about
2: him not everyone does that mm-hmm. except for no wild cards i'm not going to do wild cards wild cards sucks
1: uh, come on that's our next uh... <laughs> <laughs> are you doing wild cards oh no, i'm just kidding oh my
0: god who does wild cards
1: <laughs> it would be funny if we were just like we're gonna do a wild cards podcast
0: we did do that on the subreddit once where for an april fool's joke we turned the entire subreddit into wild cards people are not happy with us no they didn't they didn't really get into the joke at that point
1: yeah yeah no, i can see why <laughs>
0: Um, I also wanted to uh, take a second to read a iTunes review that I got from user, I'm not sure how to pronounce this one, because as we know from my CK3 streams, I am not good at pronouncing things, Uber Mooper, not really sure, Um, they say, if you consider yourself a lover of high fantasy, Joe Magician is so much fun to listen to, I love the Song of Ice and Fire series, Lord of the Rings, and many other fictional stories and universes, Joe Magician touches on many and more of these, drawing parallels and distinctions for you. To Ponder that was a very nice review. Thank you very so much for that one. If you guys read them I mean if you guys leave them, maybe if they're nice or even if they're not if they're just funny I'll probably just read them on a stream <laughs> uh, So what we have here is the for going back to Lyanna Stark we have an opening quote here This is the one that most people think about with her um, This is from of course Ned's fever dream. I believe when he's in the black cells and these, I think a lot of these lines are the ones that, when people think about Lyanna Stark, these are the ones that come to mind. Lady Gwyn, take us away.
1: Okay. He could hear her still at times. Promise me, she had cried, in a room that smelled of blood and roses. Promise me, Ned. The fever had taken her strength, and her voice had been as faint as a whisper. But when he gave her his word, the fear had gone out of his sister's eyes. Ned remembered the way she had smiled then, how tightly her fingers had clutched his as she gave up her hold on life, the rose petals spilling from her palm, dead and black. After that, he remembered nothing. They had found him still holding her body, silent with grief. The little cranogman, Howland Reed, had taken her hand from his. Ned could recall none of it. I bring her flowers when I can, he said. Lyanna was... Bond of flowers.
0: Big whoopsie on that one. I got it wrong. That was from Eddard 1. That is when he's talking to Robert. My bad on that one. But yeah, this is, this is the introduction you get to Lyanna Stark. The tragedy of her character, The as he says, um, with, the, with the rose petals spilling from her palm. Mm. The promises that she extracted from Ned. Ugh.
1: Promises.
0: Yeah, those promises keep coming up somehow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I thought a lot of what we hear about Liana Stark is sort of a character that is more known by reputation than who she actually was as a person. That's certainly how uh, Robert Baratheon interacts with her, but most of the realm as well. And I wanted to go back and sort of talk about what we actually know from her, from like sort of primary sources about what her personality was, what kind of decision making she had, and maybe how that. Translates to her, uh, a very famous son that nobody knows about. Uh, <laughs> so to start off with, Lyanna Stark was the third child and only daughter to Lord Rickard Stark and Lady Lyarra Stark. Weird thing, nobody knows anything about Lyarra. <laughs> like she just doesn't exist.
1: When did she die?
0: When did she no. live?
1: When did she? Have, what, what? Anything about her? One single detail? Nothing. No.
0: Maybe that will come up, but I sort of doubt it. George kind of has that history of um focusing more on the fathers than the mothers but Mm. more liana stark if you could but uh, obviously uh benjen stark was her younger brother ned and brandon her older brothers um and this is although a lot of times we're talking about liana and her relationship with brothers because ned is the one telling us about her a lot of people assume that ned was the brother that was closest to her but it really seems to be the opposite that benjen stark the younger brother the one who disappears off page is the one of the stark siblings who really was her her friend more than just her sibling and um there's a really good quote here uh, this isn't canon but it's i consider it mostly it's a vision from bran from the winterfell heart tree and he sees two children sparring in front of it lady go go for it
1: okay Now two children danced across the godswood, hooting at one another as they dueled with broken branches. The girl was the older and taller of the two. Aria, Bran thought eagerly as he watched her leap up onto a rock and cut at the boy. But that couldn't be right. If the girl was Aria, the boy was Bran himself, and he had never worn his hair so long. And Aria never beat me playing at swords the way that girl is beating him. She slashed the boy across his thigh so hard that his leg went out from under him, and he fell into the pool and began to splash and shout. You'll be quiet, stupid, the girl said, <laughs> tossing her own branch aside. It's just water. Do you want old Nan to hear and run tell father? She knelt and pulled her brother from the pool, but before she got him out again, the two of them were gone.
0: That is a very, very different person than what we get from the, the first quote we read, where as a young girl, she's beating the crap out of Benjen. She's telling him to shut up, calling him stupid. Do you want to get us in trouble? It's like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is a much younger version of Liana, but even still, that, that tells you a lot about a personality. Even Bran's thinking about how, like, I mean, Arya is known as sort of a martial character that she's very skilled with swords and bows and arrows, but he's like, holy crap, this, this girl's really good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that is just classic aria right you be quiet stupid i love that (laughs) exactly something aria would say some so many similarities (laughs) well
0: definitely with aria the similarities i also i also just love the idea that that he fell into the water and started crying. She's like, knock it off, Benjen. And then you see Benjamin later. And he's this hardened warrior, the the first <laughs> ranger, the knights watch, somebody that everyone respects. And when he was a kid, his little sister beat the crap out of him at playing at <laughs> swords. It sort of tells you, like, if Liana had not lived, what would she have been like? Like, maybe something like the Scarlet Shadow? Maybe someone like Brienne? Because clearly she has a competency for um, sword play and beating up people that we d- that's not often talked about.
2: hmm Yep. True.
0: And that sort of reinforces the idea that in her youth, even though th- that she enjoyed being a marshal, that she wanted to be w- just one of the boys with her brothers. And um, it's I w- like I was talking about, it's very similar to relationship with Arya with her brothers in the current time. And that's one of the backwards ways that I think George tells us a lot about Lyanna by making sure that he constantly reminds the audience, by the way, Arya Lyanna, when, th- when you think about one, think about the other. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a really clever way because that's all he does that with other characters. Like, Mance is not literally Rhaegar, but there's a lot of similarities between them. And it's like, well done, Georgie.
1: Yeah, exactly. Great characterizing. Uh, yeah, and it's also a way that he, he uh, very cleverly hints at uh, one element of R plus L equals J because he does this sort of, well, Arya's a lot like Lyanna. And John is a lot like Aria. Uh. Therefore, Liana and John have these certain similarities, not just in looks, but mm-hmm. uh, certain personality things too, that, that you can just kind of transitive right over from Aria to, or from Liana to John in that way, in a way that he can't um, obviously put on page. Uh, it would be a little bit on the nose. But imagine, imagine how Ned must have felt thinking always thinking how much aria was like liana Mm. Uh, but actually if you know at the same time john is very much like her especially in looks uh those secret thoughts of ned that we never get to see on page true must have been absolute torture for him
0: also like imagine ned watching john in the training yard against rob and then having these flashbacks like did he also get his butt kicked by Liana and sparring? Probably because it's Ned's not mm-hmm. really shown to be a particularly good swordsman himself. Yeah. It's said that even he only beat Arthur Dane because Howland Reed helped in some way. So yeah, every single moment that he looks at Ned and Arya, it's just like pulling at his heartstrings.
1: Mm-hmm. I can't just imagine. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so- I also missed two things. I'm sorry. I wanted to uh, say thank you to. Uh, Ramona Zamfir and Danny McKay, they both sent uh, super chats via PayPal because I'm actually checking for this time. Danny McKay says, happy Saturday. Uh, Ramona didn't leave a, a comment, but there's a question from her later from the patrons. Thanks, but thank you guys so much. And also uh, Mr. Marmello. He looks like he left them days ago. <laughs> I'm just looking at the viewer activity. I'm like, all right. Stream wasn't live, but he was leaving super chat. So you see this on um, comeback. Thank you very much for that. Um, one other thing that we also learn about Liana is that she's called a centaur, which mm. that has set off quite a lot of tinfoil theories about it, but it's that she enjoyed riding horses very much specifically with her oldest brother, uh, Brandon Stark. The quote goes, Brandon was fostered at Bariton with L- old Lord Dustin, the father of the one I'd later wed. Oh, this is from Lady Dustin. And he spent most of his time riding in the will- in the rills. He loved to ride. His little sister took after him at that. A pair of centaurs though, too. Those two and my lord father was always pleased to play host to the heir to Winterfell, and this is also another very interesting characterization that comes up because it's not just that Arya is compared to Lyanna; she's also compared to Brandon. Liana is almost never compared to her to the other two siblings, Ned and Benjen, but very much so with Brandon, and that sort of paints this, uh, this pa- paints this idea that Lyanna is <laughs> passionate to say the least, that she um, has that wolf blood that she lived by um, her impulses basically. That's, that's what we know about Brandon and his quote unquote wolf pups he left all over the north and the fact that he challenged Rhaegar to a fight and that they loved riding essentially racing through the woods. That's not that's actually kind of dangerous mm-hmm. but Liana loved it anyway and that's I do love that kind of characterization about her that she was brave and that she loved doing these sort of things that I don't think you would ever catch Ned Stark doing a a racehorse or horse race anywhere.
1: No, that's a little crazy (laughs) (laughs) for Ned. (laughs) A little
0: crazy is maybe the right way to describe her. Of course, this was also when she was young. I mean, people forget when she died, she was 15 or 16. So Mm -hmm. this is a teenager doing these things. But even still, we don't hear about these things about a lot of of characters. Um, And going back to the relationship between Liana and Benjen, we know that uh, Ned was fostered out to the Vale to house Aaron along with Robert Baratheon. Uh, about that one. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Brandon also was fostered out to Barrowton. And when he wasn't in Barrowton, we learn from um, from Ned that he often took Rob and John on these sort of trips out to see his his vassals and teach them how to be a lord. So it's very likely that it was just Liana and Benjamin hanging out all the time, especially as we get closer to the turning at Hall, her other two brothers were long gone at that point. Well, not long gone, but nowhere near her. So as these um, teenage changes are happening to her, it's Benjamin who would have been front row seat for the, ch- mm-hmm. the differences in her personality.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he probably would be a confidant of, of some sort.
0: Which makes Definitely. it such a bummer yeah. he's not on the screen anymore. <laughs>
1: I don't think it's a bummer, Joe. <laughs> we'll talk about that, I think. Probably just intentional, but
0: Ah, yeah, uh, George, taking the characters that know everything and just shoving them off screen. How dare you?
1: Stashing them off page somewhere <laughs> until you're ready.
0: Yeah. Uh, or never. Or never. Uh, yeah. Like everyone that knows, a- that knows Rhaegar is basically dead. I'm hoping he doesn't do the same thing to Lyanna. There's still mm-hmm. some hope that we'll get to later, but... Um, yeah. The show also adapted this relationship a bit, where uh, it has her riding into Winterfell on her horse, uh, surrounding her brothers, annoying them, and then also demonstrating that um, she has some skill at dueling. Again, this is this is very much a a similarity to Arya, where she has that infamous scene at the beginning, where she shoots the arrow while Bran is struggling with it, and then she does that curtsy and runs away. Again, driving home the connections between um aria liana and also just this personality of not being afraid of doing things that girls aren't supposed to do in their society basically
2: mm-hmm.
1: absolutely
0: yeah and uh we actually have the the quote we were talking about earlier in a game of thrones ned draws the comparison between aria and liana saying not only do they really look alike but that they have this similar personality take it away.
1: Yes, says. Ah, Arya, you have a wildness in you, child. The wolf blood, my father used to call it. Lyanna had a touch of it, and my brother Brandon more than a touch. It brought them both to an early grave. Arya heard sadness in his voice. He didn't often speak of his father or of the brother and sister who had died before she was born. Lyanna might have carried a sword if my lord father had allowed it. You remind me of her sometimes. You even look like her. Oh. oh, and the, the you know, for, in terms of Arya, the, the follow-up to that is Arya saying, completely startled, but Lyanna was beautiful. <laughs> oh. And that just break, it breaks my little heart every time I read it. Cause I'm just like, oh, poor Arya. She's just been told she's this, you know, plain, awkward, you know, ratty-haired kid all, all of her life and she doesn't have the confidence in herself and Her father's really the only person that sees that, sees that potential.
0: Um, So... That's true. It's also, that's when Ned probably would have last seen Liana before they went to the tourneys. He probably left when she looked, or was around the age Arya is now, Mm -hmm. very much um, coming through strongly. Oh, uh, Mm -hmm. sorry, got a super chat through uh, PayPal from Aaron M, who's also in the chat. She said, this is mostly for Lady Gwyn's superb reading voice, agreed but also because Matt is
2: great. Thank you so much, Aaron. That's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I I do find it interesting though, that, um, Lyanna is very much considered at least in
0: popular culture within Westeros as a very beautiful character that. She must've been essentially the logic goes because Rhaegar Targaryen, the Prince of Dragonstone gave up his life for her. He started, a rebellion started for her. Robin, Robert went after her, but, it's one of those things where she looks like Jon <laughs> and she looks like Arya and they're described sort of as horse-faced. Mm. And not only that, Jon... I mean, Jon is considered... I've thought about this in the past where Jon is handsome by like Northern and Wildling standards, but not really like by Valyrian standards, I guess. And it's mm. it's it's one of those things where the the legend has grown so much that... I don't think anybody would look at John or Arya and be like, Oh my God, the most handsome people in the world. Although obviously in the show, uh, it turned out that way because they hired actors, but I love the idea that Liana, there's more, even with the appearance level, there's more to know about her than we're really being told.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a lot more, I mean, <laughs> a, only lot just more. A, a lot more. We've got just to hope that, uh, some of those people that could tell us make it to the page someday, right?
0: Well, in theory, maybe. Mm, maybe. I have to get wins and winner first. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's one that there's another comparison that, um, although we everyone talks about Arya and Lyanna, there's one you want to talk about with uh, her connections with Sansa.
1: Yeah, and I think I have some notes about this also later on too, uh, but she's does have uh, similarities with Sansa. There's her love of stories or, or songs, uh, what you see in this story about the journey at Harrenhal, Lyanna crying uh, when Rhaekar plays his harp. Mm. Uh, a lot of people kind of extrapolate from that, that she was a fan of stories in general. And I, I would say that's probably true, uh, just going by what we know about someone like Sansa. Uh, but she's also like we see uh, Sansa, is very astute with people. And Aria proves, uh, not, not Aria, Liana proves that when she says to Ned, uh, you know, the stuff she says about Robert when their betrothal is mm-hmm. announced. I think we have the quote later on, but uh, she, basically she has him pegged for a guy that is going to be, you know, not faithful. She knows that nothing can change a person's n- true nature. That's that's a heck of a lot of wisdom for a 14 year old kid, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's true. and that, that's this that's the sort of um, real insight that we're seeing Sansa as she approaches that age grow into. So I think there's much more of that to come.
0: That's true. And there's um, there's the, old, the other quote where Robert is talking about Liana at the. Um, well, he wants to go joust in the hands tourney, and, and Ned's trying to tell him this is a stupid thing to do, you idiot, don't do it. And to, and to make his point, he even invokes Leon. He says, you never knew Leon as I did, Robert, Ned told him. You saw her beauty, but not the iron underneath. She would have told you you have no business in the melee. She would have said to her husband, well, who would have been her husband and the Lord of Storm's End would have said, essentially, it's like smacked him across the head. And went, what, what are you doing?
1: Exactly not one to hold back i guess
0: <laughs> no that's true and then the other quote uh the one you were talking about uh it says robert will never keep to one bed Liana had told him at winterfell on the night long ago when their father had promised her hand to the young lord of storms at this is after one night by the way this is mm-hmm. like obviously she would have asked around about him but this is like she met him for two, for a couple hours and went like i already know i see his future it's like holy shit mm-hmm. that's hard to do i yeah. hear he has gotten a child on some girl in the veil Ned had held the babes in his arms he could scarcely deny her, nor did he lie to his sister, but he assured her that what Robert did before the betrothal was of no matter, that he was a good man and true who would love her with all his heart. Liana had only smiled. Love is sweet, dearest Ned, but it cannot change a man's nature. Wow.
1: Yeah. Poor Ned. He's like, you know, he just wants his bestie and his sister to just be happy together. Poor, sweet, old Ned. And Leon is like, however much younger than, you know, several years years younger than Ned and just like, no, not a chance, you know, he's inevitably going to dishonor me. Mm. And if, you know, if things hadn't turned out the way they did, we have to extrapolate where that would have left Ned and Robert's (laughs) friendship. Um, It probably would have gotten pretty awkward between them.
0: And you can also surmise that even if she didn't run away with Rhaegar, it may have just been somebody else. It it may have just happened to be Rhaegar. Very Mm -hmm. clearly, she's expressing that doesn't want anything to do with Robert and that she very much wants, as uh, we've shown before, she wants a life that is her own, a life that is separate from her role as the dutiful daughter of Lord Rickard Stark. She wants to be her own person. And this is not something that is being laid out for her, and it's, we see very much in the similar to Le- uh, to Arya, who when she's told she has to be a lady that she'll get married to somebody, she essentially has the same reaction. She's like, "Well, this is bullshit. That's not who yeah. I am.
1: Yeah, that's not for me." She says, "That's for Sansa, but <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not me. That's Sansa. You got it all wrong."
0: <laughs> Although Sansa, insert I think very interestingly, there's a point of comparison here between sansa and liana that they both have similar reactions and that is of course sansa in the veil is supposed mm-hmm. to marry harold harding and harold harding is another handsome dick of an heir to a kingdom he already has bastard children before getting married he even openly says it to sansa he says oh yes yeah i have mm-hmm. i have bastards. no big deal i'll be faithful to you and it's like i think that's something really interesting to look out in the Winds of Winter going forwards for Sansa as a character that George is also introducing his comparison to watch her interactions with Harold Harding and how she reacts to the marriage packs that Littlefinger is promising for her and use that to backfill Leona's character.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great comparison. So many uh, Robert Baratheon vibes there. <laughs>
0: Harold Hardy you
1: know, he sucks and he's, and he's there, he's in the veil and Maya stone is right there too, you know, and it's all just, yeah.
0: Oh, that's a, that's a great point. I forgot about that. Yeah. Sansa literally interacting with the child that, that probably broke up the marriage between Liana and Robert.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So. So
0: where that's where i
2: there. Yeah. <laughs> that's where
0: we leave off with the, the most of her history and I wish I had an air horn sound effect or something, because now we get to the turning at Harren Hall and the Night of the Laughing Tree. A big moment for Lyanna, although never, ac- I don't think she's ever mentioned by name in this story. They always just call her the wolf maid. Mm. And that's one of those things. I went back and I looked for instances of Lyanna's name in the books, and there's actually not that many. There's only like 14 or 15 name drops that aren't Lyanna Mormont it's uh mm-hmm. it's surprisingly sparse for a character that has such a large impact on what's going on and we're, uh, this is something i i was going to bring up later but i think it's a good time now it's that um john never once thinks about Liana directly as a person it's mm-hmm. always he only thinks about his mother in the abstract and this is this is a way that george is using um these old stories and these and these misdirects try and hide this. Although we all figured it out, unfortunately, thanks to the fan community, George did not count on the internet. Uh,
2: <laughs> no, he <we> did not. <laughs> who, how could coming. he
0: know that these sort of things would exist? <laughs> Two people spending a Saturday talking about one of one one character that barely appears in the books.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: then we get the so. This is one of those really, really good chapters. And I love this quote here. Uh, this is Jojen and Mira Reed talking about uh, Liana and Howland Reed meeting at the tourney at Heron Hall. Go ahead.
1: Okay. <laughs> Sometimes the knights are the monsters, Bran. The little crannic was walking across the field enjoying the warm spring day and harming none when he was set upon by three squires. They were none older than 15, yet even so they were bigger than him, all three, This was their world as they saw it, and he had no right to be there. They snatched away his spear and knocked him to the ground, cursing him for a frog eater. Were they Walders? It -hmm. sounded like something little Walder Frey might have done. None offered a name, but he marked their faces well so he could revenge himself upon them later. They shoved him down every time he tried to rise and kicked him when he curled up on the ground. But then... They heard a roar. <gasps> That's my father's man you're kicking," howled the she-wolf. The she-wolf laid into the squires with a tourney sword, scattering them all. The Cranickman was bruised and bloodied, so she took him back to her lair to clean his cuts and bind them up with linen. There he met her pack brothers, the wild wolf who led them, the quiet wolf beside him, and the pup who was the youngest of the four.
0: Oh, little Benjamin. <clears throat> but this I- This is the biggest moment of characterization I think we get for Lyanna Stark. Like, Ned thinks about her mostly in terms of the sad moments. we comparing her with Robert and a lot of the the other comparisons are about, like, they have to do with Rhaegar and Robert being sad about that and characters like Cersei and Kevin going, like, a wolf girl versus like Cersei Lannister? How could she? (laughs) But this is where we actually see definite actions and what she does in moments where she's not being the Lyanna Stark of legend, um, just to set the the um, for what's exactly happening here. Uh, Liana and her brothers have taken in Howland, although he's very curiously arriving at the tournament at this moment after staying on the mythical and near impossible to reach Isle of Faces for an extended period of time. That's something I've I've wondered about in the past. Like, not we'll touch on this a little bit, but it's like. The fact that Howland gets his ass kicked in front of Lyanna sets off the whole chain of events that leads to her and Rhaegar finding each other and knowing the way that the greenseers and Howlin who is visiting with them. You have to wonder how much of this was set up for them to meet each other. Mm-hmm. Um, a very fun but curious line of thought. Um, but then we get to the Night of the Laughing Tree. Lady Gwyn. this is... This is your thing. You guys have done <laughs> entire episodes about this. Um, tell us about the Night of the Laughing
2: Tree.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, first, I want to start by saying that one of the things that strikes me most about that lead up to this Night of the Laughing Tree story um, are the comparisons that we can draw between John and Arya. I mean, I've, well, obviously, we talked a lot about Arya. There's, there's obvious stuff there. This skill with so, with the blade and with riding and be passing as a boy. Arya has this deep loathing of injustice. But Jon does something very similar to this early in his career and at the Night's Watch when he rescues Sam from Bullies at Castle Black. If you go back and you read that scene, it is uh, very similarly mm-hmm. structured. He He charges in and takes on multiple aggressors who are all bigger than him and older than him in the name of justice and standing up for someone who's kind of lying on the ground, getting kicked around. So that takes guts. And that's obviously something that Liana passed on to her son. <laughs> Little does anyone know it except for us. <laughs> so, the, but the knight of the Laughing Tree uh, is the mystery night that appears at the tourney. He is described as a slight young man in ill-fitting armor whose device was a carved white weirwood tree, its features twisted in mirth. And for reasons, the fandom is almost entirely convinced, I think there's still people that aren't, but I have, I am, <laughs> that this is Lyanna Stark and uh, that she is wearing all this uh sort of mismatched armor that Benjamin had offered to collect for Howland but mm. uh, so that he could avenge himself on these squires. But Howland really lacks a skill. He says, you know, I'm, I'm not made for this. I'm a, I'm, I'm a crannic man. I have my frog spear. I, I don't ride a horse. I, I don't hold a lance or sword. So uh, Liana has those skills though. And she also obviously has the will to teach those squires a lesson. And kind of fast forward to the end when the Knight of the Laughing Tree does prevail over the three knights whom the squires served. And she says, rather than a ransom, uh, teach your squires honor, that will be ransom enough. That's the big lesson she wants to teach them. Mm-hmm. And that that's something that's always struck me as a very sansa like thing to say. It's like something that you would read in a story, you know. It's not <laughs> um you know, it's it's not bloody or, you know, vengeful like you might get from Aria or, or Bran or you know, somebody anybody else really. It's just this sort of like ideals. That's true. <laughs> so, uh Lady
0: Rosalie Valarion in the chat says stark justice. And I agree with that. This is yeah. You could very much see that this would be, if he could, Ned would teach his children this this story. It's of course, he can't. Right. But it works perfectly with the values he sets out. And that's why John, as you say, in the um, later in his life, seems to echo it because these are the values they hold as rulers, that it's important for them to look out for the small guy. It's important for them to protect their vassals, that it's not a a one-way relationship with them they see it as going back and forth like what's mm-hmm. the point of being a ruler or a king or anything like that if you can't protect your people and that's something ned very much has impressed on his entire family
1: yeah absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we got a
0: question uh from mm-hmm. patreon eric Foreg. he has a question about the night of the laughing tree mm-hmm. and this is mm-hmm. something i i know you have written and podcasted about before What's up with the description of the knight having a booming voice? Liana does not have a booming voice. So what's going on?
1: Okay, well, Liana is wearing a helm. So she's got a big iron bucket over her head. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I had a big iron bucket and put it over my <laughs> head right now and uh, and lowered my voice and said, teach your squires honor, you wouldn't know I was a woman necessarily because mm-hmm. of something called resonance when when your voice is is held inside that big bit of metal. Uh, and I had jotted down a note in the very cryptic note in the talk <laughs> that just says, uh, Yokeboywesteros.org bin binhead, And <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to tell you guys that years ago when um, we used to hang out on Westeros.org and uh, frequently, uh, I kind of cut my teeth in forums in the RLJ threads mm-hmm. there. Uh, So, we'd be kind of hanging out there talking with people and back then it was, there was an an inevitable cycle of people challenging RLJ, Mm -hmm. people challenging the Night of the Laughing Tree and and all these these ideas and somebody asked this exact same question and Yoke Boy being adept with sound.
2: Yes, he is.
1: He took and put a metal bin on his head and recorded himself making noise from inside the metal bin. And then we we posted it on the forum. And uh, it's a real thing that that helm over your head is actually amplifying your voice. And if you make the effort of also lowering your voice and projecting it at the same time, it's going to be hard to tell who mm-hmm. is speaking. And we also like to point out that Catelyn does not recognize Brienne when she sees her uh, at Renly's tourney at Bitterbridge. She does not realize that she is a woman until she removes her helm in spite of the fact that she speaks, she comes up and she speaks to Renly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, et cetera. She has no idea. And then when she actually takes her helmet off and reveals who she is, Catelyn is utterly shocked. You know, so so the voice thing is, um, you know, it's just natural to be expected, I guess.
0: I know nothing about luring my voice for dramatic effect. That's not a thing I do all the time. That's not a thing I do on my YouTube channel. I definitely don't have a podcast voice versus my normal speaking voice. That's nobody does that.
1: Who would do such a thing?
0: <laughs> <How>? <laughs> Never. I definitely don't turn the bass way up when I'm making videos. That doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, it's pretty easy to do that kind of thing. Um, and so the outcome of this is the Knight of the laughing tree, essentially, uh, you say, as you say, he, did he, he didn't win the tournament, right? He ran away.
1: He ran. So he got to the, he's supposed to be back for the final. So this mm-hmm. was the second to last day. So he sort of took that, you know, took the, the win for that. And I guess was probably supposed to come back the next day. And you know, joust in the semifinals, or what have you. I, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, But he does, he does leave. He mm-hmm. um, does not come back. Um, so in fact, the fact that the Knight of the Laughing Tree does not return for uh, day two is something that really <clears throat> really leads to Aries being uh, pretty pretty paranoid about it all you know Aries has really just uh, sent he's just put Jamie in the king's guard then sent him home mm-hmm. back to king's landing because he doesn't he's just being a jerk he doesn't want him to you know win any renown uh, you know, he's just trying to get back at Tywin. So Ares becomes convinced that maybe if this is Jamie come back as a mystery knight, just to mock him, or maybe there's some other plot and he's Ares. So he's just paranoid about everything. He can't take a joke. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't think <laughs> it's funny that somebody came on and decided to be a mystery knight and teach three mm-hmm. stupid squires honor. He thinks that it's all something to do with him. Uh, so he declares that it's his, This knight is no friend of his and, you know, whoever's here, he should be looking for him and probably offering rewards to people Mm -hmm. for finding him. He sends (gasps) Rhaegar. Thanks,
0: Varys. (laughs) Thanks, Varys, for all this stuff, you you asshole.
1: exactly oh uh,
0: there's a question from the chat i wanted to a, a good one i never really thought about maybe this is something you've tracked down mm-hmm. do you think yes. those, these squires are still alive and yes. when we know something about their identities or doings after the turn have you identified
1: them well you can identify them by their sigils one mm-hmm. is from um one is from house hague mm-hmm. um let me just see who the other one is uh one is from one is a fray we don't know <gasps> which we don't know which fray but it, it was a Frey. Stupid uh, Frey. So whoever it was 15 years ago, I think we can guess, uh, you know, uh, well, okay. So these are the knights. Mm-hmm. I, I, so the, the knights that they served was a knight from House Haig, a knight from House Frey, and a knight from House Blount. <sighs> and there's only one knight from House Blount in the story, and that is Boros. Boros the Belly. Um, So I'm pretty sure that Boros the Belly is one of the three knights that Lyanna defeated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which you know, when you start to kind of think about the ins and outs of that, the resonance with him uh, beating Sansa, and Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's just there's a lot of stuff you could probably unpack there. So whether we'll find out who their squires were, I don't really know. Um, I Bet that uh, the fray may have been hosting because I think it's noted that he was a a, you know attorney knight in his youth, Mm -hmm. Uh, and he was probably always stupid. (laughs) So you know that makes sense that he would have a you know stupid squire. So uh, I do think that we'll we'll find out more. So. It's interesting because you think about all the ways that we could find out more about uh, the attorney the of Hall, and you think that most of the people are dead and maybe it's just Howland out there, but
2: uh you know, that's true.
1: There, there might actually be some other, not that we're ever going to get up the, the boros Blount point. Of view. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's
0: dead. He's going to die.
1: He's going to die. pretty. Isn't, quickly,
0: he's uh but, he's uh-huh. going to have a heart attack. I believe
1: he's, He can barely stand up at the end of a dance with dragons. Yeah.
0: His last words. Liana Stark, this is your
1: fault.
0: I know. (laughs) Let me recount my experiences with Liana as I (laughs) die for no reason.
1: As as I lay dying. Yes.
0: (laughs) That'd be quite a thing for Poros. Um It would, yeah. So the the last point that uh you were talking about is that Rhaegar was sent to find the mystery knight. He comes back and says, I can't find her. Of course, us in the fandom or can't find him. <gasps> wink, wink, wink. It's pretty <laughs> clear that Rhaegar did find the Night of the Laughing Tree and unmasked it as Lyanna Stark. Because this is sort of, even when you, when you listen to the Robert's Robert side version of the events of Rhaegar and Lyanna, it is totally unclear how they even met each other. Mm. There's no interactions. And there has to be something, even if, even if you believe the kidnapping, why did Rhaegar become aware of Lyanna Stark? It's, there's no reason for it. Uh, There's a lot of people that love Rhaegar. He doesn't love almost any of them back, which we learned from, you know, Cersei and John Connington and people up and down the country that thought they knew and loved Rhaegar. So what made her stand out? Well, the Knight of the Laughing Tree, realizing that she has bravery and honor and stood up to these knights and beat the crap out of these squires and probably heard the whole story about protecting Howland. That would be something that would probably be impressive to someone like Rhaegar, who we know as a person does care very much about um, being a good ruler, much more than his father does.
1: Mm-hmm. 100%. So, so that leads us to what happened next.
0: Whoa. This is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this is the part where uh, the Sansa comparison comes back in, and that the idea of songs and um, and that the... That there, there's a romantic shriek to Lyanna that hasn't mm-hmm. developed yet in Aria, but maybe will later. Like, mm-hmm. if there was a five-year gap, maybe that would have come out more. But we learn from the story that Rhaegar was playing his harp and, see, and singing his very, very, very sad songs. And that it got the wolf maid to sniffle. And then when Benjen Stark started making fun of her, she poured wine over his head when he laughed at her. A uh, classic brother-sister relationship right there. Um now, some theories uh, vary about like the exact moment that they become aware of each other. This is the moment where Lyanna becomes aware of Rhaegar as a person, clearly um, the handsome young prince playing his harp, singing the sad songs that there's almost some, a similar relationship to how Cersei uh, fell in love with Rhaegar. It's it's these outward traits he's displaying um, that wasn't even directed at her in particular. Rhaegar, always plays sad songs. It's not like he got up on stage with his harp and said this one's for you Lyanna Stark. It's, he just played a song but she fell in love with him or at least she fell in... Um, what's the right word? Um,
1: I think she was crushing. Yeah,
0: she was crushing on him. Yeah. And then we get to the end of the tournament. The Queen of Love and Beauty. Now this is the moment where the smiles died. Uh, Rhaegar wins the tourney. He has the Garland of Blue Winter Roses, and he rides right by Ilya Martel, his wife, who is also uh, recovered from a very tough pregnancy. So most, I don't think a lot of people thought she would even be there, much like Ares. But he rides right by her and drops the Blue Winter Roses on Lyanna Stark. Brandon Stark is furious. He's angry. He wants to fight Rhaegar on the spot. He has to be restrained. Uh, there's some... Um, again, the wolf-bloodedness, the passionateness that, I'm, that we were talking about with Lyanna that Brandon shares. I, 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 uh, I don't think a lot of people really think about how Lyanna would have reacted when Rhaegar's riding up to her with the blue winter roses, like, did she freeze? Like, oh shit, are you about to out me? Like, yeah. That kind of, uh-huh. especially because she's sitting right next to her future husband. Like, maybe she understood, but that was a really strange <laughs> move by Rhaegar right there.
1: It it definitely was. I mean, but it's it's. Well, this is why him discovering that she was the Knight of the Laughing Tree when his father sent him out searching mm-hmm. and he came back and said, Oh, I just found her shield <laughs> hanging in a tree or it's his shield, you know. Uh, but the fact that he probably discovered it was who it was exactly who it was mm-hmm. uh, makes sense now because he wanted to honor her. Uh, and then if you go to brand's reaction to Mira's story, right at the end that mm-hmm. even it, I think there's a bit of a hint at this. He says, to, <laughs> I'll include this first bit because it cracks me up. It's brand, but he says that was a good story, but it should have been the three bad knights who hurt him, not their squires. Then the little chronic men could have killed them all. The part about the ransoms was stupid. (laughs) Then he says, and the mystery knight should win the tourney, defeating every challenger and name the wolf maid, the queen of love and beauty. And then Mira agrees and says, yeah, uh, she, she did. Um, The the wolf maid was named the queen of love and beauty, but that's a sadder story. But in a sense, the mystery knight did win (gasps) because Rhaegar won it for her and gave her the laurels out of respect, which was promptly misconstrued by everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Except, this this is something that I like to just sort of, what you were saying, thinking about how what was Lyanna thinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I wonder about Elia. Uh, I've always wondered if her lack of reaction, there's no noted reaction mm-hmm. from her. Uh, there's just no kind of ire or resentment ever noted on the part of her family towards the Starks or Lyanna. It's all directed at the Lannisters and Aries. Uh, I wonder if this indicates that he told her the story. Don't forget at the time, you know, they're still, as far as anyone knows, they're happily married. They, they have a child. She's mm-hmm. pregnant for, with their second child after the tourney, they go home. They live a normal life for some number of months, and you know the second baby is born, and it's only after that 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 he takes off and and things <laughs> really start happening. But I just think it would have been perfectly normal for him to go home or back to their <laughs> pavilion that night and say, "You'd never guess what happened." You know, this it was <laughs> just this you know, Lord Stark's daughter, like, wow, you know, I'm going to give her the the champion's laurel. We don't know. No one knows. I mean, people assume that it was this big uh, insult and, you know, obviously people around, you know, Lyanna's family, the people that didn't know what what was happening um, did have varying degrees of surprise or or offense. Uh, but, But it's never really mentioned that Ilya shared those sentiments and I think we have to keep in mind that uh maybe she didn't maybe she was perfectly okay with it maybe she was in on it even
0: I mean there's even some maybe some truth to that to what happens during Robert's Rebellion for instance they hide in Dorn. you have to assume that if Rhaegar was in trouble with the Dornish for cheating on his wife <laughs> and marrying yes. another woman hiding in Dorne is probably the last place you want to go
1: yeah uh, the Dornish, this watchtower, you know, was probably owned by, uh, you know, it, it's never mentioned that it belongs Fowlers, to a specific I house. I don't know. It's it's near their lands. I've yeah. wondered if, as this kind, if it's just this kind of thing that maybe, you know, it's an outpost of Martell, you know, because it's just a watchtower on mm-hmm. the edge of their their dominion. So, uh, how did he even know it was there, you know? And like you said, he clearly wasn't afraid of the Dornish. No, oh. <laughs> he
0: left her alone there. Like if you, if you really think she's in danger, if you think the Martells and Ober and Martell are going to get their revenge, even leaving three Kingsguard and Dorne, I mean, that's, that's a insanely mm-hmm. dangerous move. You have to, they can be overwhelmed and take yeah. Lyanna and take her captive. They've done it in the past and it's like, mm-hmm. he didn't care. So I think that mm-hmm. speaks more a lot to your point that yeah, Ilya probably knew. And I, you have to imagine that maybe, um, he he talked it over with people, maybe that he was going to give Liana the the thing, and they were probably like, "Oh, that's a, that's a nice message." But and we've actually seen in the past that mystery nights do happen. That and they're not often the unmasking of them is not often a scandal. Like we know Barristan the Bold did this when he was a young kid. Um, it's it's happened before in other stories where the mystery night there is like, "Oh, it's this guy." Okay, I mean, if you're lowborn, it's a problem. But Liana's not lowborn. The only reason he couldn't say she's the Knight of the Laughing Tree is because Ares thought she was a criminal, that he yeah. wanted her dead. It it could have been just like a nothing moment, like, oh, look at this and the honest stark. And then, wow, this is amazing. It could have been a great story, but it's Ares and Varys and the paranoia and the idea that they think this is a threat to them that leads to this sort of secret marking of importance for her.
1: Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs>
0: And nobody can know about it because it would have endangered her life.
1: Yeah. A friend of mine.
0: Rhaegar probably should have kept it to himself, though. Mm. Probably should have just given Elia the thing and then <clears throat> gave her a high five on the way out of the tourney saying, you're amazing. Good job.
1: Yeah. Good job. Good job, girl. Just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but he didn't. He didn't. And um,
0: There may have been sparks flying when they met each other, considering mm-hmm. what happens later. Maybe that's Maybe that influenced his decision when he's like, well, she is kind of pretty, and she's awesome. Hmm. Yeah, I'll give her this laurel.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, there's one point I always, I'm always confused about, and that is the giving of the Blue Winter Roses to the tournament champion at Hall, So the Blue Winter Roses are a rare flower, and they are also Lyanna's favorite, and we notably know they grow in Winterfell. So why does... Why is why are these the the laurel that's being given out that the Starks bring them with them? Why mm-hmm. would they do this for the Wents? The Wints are putting it on. There's no connection there between them, and it also just happens to be Lyanna's favorite flower. Wh- what do you think is going on here? Why were there blue winter roses at the tourney at Harrenhal? Hmm.
1: Okay. So uh, couple. Uh, so they grow at Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the only place they grow. True. That's the only place that we know of., uh, so could have been you know, somebody else brought them. Could have been the Starks did bring them because don't forget it's it's the fall spring. They're probably not growing roses outdoors yet. You know, you have to have you know this the Starks have this famous uh, greenhouse, basically where they can grow food and roses mm-hmm. all, all, throughout the throughout the winter, and it's been a very long winter. Uh, so they may have brought them because they were the only ones that had roses to bring. Uh, and there was have a little connection with the Wentz because it's uh, Catelyn's mother. Mm-hmm. And Catelyn and Brandon are are betrothed. So uh, so there's that. But I think it's important. Um, that was my opinion. But it, one, one thing I've noticed is that it's never connected with Lyanna before the tourney. It's only afterwards, so I I believe that they are her favorite because of the crown that was given to her by the beautiful silver prince. (laughs) In the same way that any girl might save, like you know, you you probably have never done this, Joe, but you know, like girls, just like you get a flower or something from a boy and you press it in between books and you save your little (laughs) dried up rose or what have you, because it's, it's just a memento. It's Mm -hmm. something that links you to your crush. Um, So um, you've probably seen, you know, roll your memory back to being a teenager and you've probably seen girls wearing boys, sweatshirts or mm-hmm. yeah, jackets or stuff like that. And and that's just because it's something that links them to that person that they that they like or that mm-hmm. they're crushing on. You know, like anything like that. So I, I think that if she got this crown of blue roses and in her mind it's connected to him and now she's got a crush on him, well she's gonna be like, I love blue roses <laughs> <laughs> They're That's my true. favorite. <laughs> so, as my opinion, because I I don't believe that we're ever specifically told that she loved those flowers prior to. Hmm. It's always kind of in hindsight that you know Ned's saying, "Oh, she loves flowers, and she's connected with the blue roses symbolically a lot,
2: a lot, a lot,
1: a lot, a lot." <laughs> but I think it all stems from this.
0: I think that's great. I think that's great points. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Also in the chat, Guilty Underdager, I think, made the point that Rhaegar somehow acquired blue roses in Dorne. So, yeah, maybe it's not as hard as maybe the rarity isn't as rare as we think. Or perhaps, well, a lot of people have thought that the Starks were aware where Lyanna was, or at least that it was was wasn't a kidnapping. And perhaps her younger brother sent some, uh, some roses down to Dorne with her or something like that. You never know. Um, uh, so, uh, as, as I was talking about earlier, this is also noted that this tourney was meant as sort of a great council. It was supposed to depose Ares for Rhaegar. That's the point of it. They went to Harrenhal where the previous great council was held because of its tremendous size. And unfortunately, Varys foiled this by convincing Ares to attend. So it turns what are a lot of like innocent tourney happenings into kind of a big deal. Um... And also, one thing to point out is a lot of people think that it's after the tourney, like directly after that Rhaegar and Liana disappeared, but it's it's months later, and it's nowhere near Harrenhal Hall. It's like 10 leagues or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh Brandon Stark hears it was a kidnapping, and from there all the events sort of spiral out into Robert's Rebellion. You guys did a really great episode though, talking exactly about like why this was not a kidnapping and the circumstances that would lead into this. So Again, yeah. Lady in, take it away.
1: So, uh, okay, so we we learned in the World Book that uh, you know Rhaegar had, like you said, gone back to Dragonstone. Elia has a baby. They're they're there. Winter's starting to set in again, and all of a sudden, he takes off and he heads back into the Riverlands with a bunch of his closest friends, and that's where you get the not ten leagues from Harrenhal.
2: Mm-hmm. He.
1: He uh, came across Liana and, you know, the rest is history. Then they disappear together. Well, what I believe very well might have happened in this, because someone always tells, mm. to quote Arya Hota, that Ares Targaryen, who loves to burn people, finds out that Liana was the Knight of the Laughing Tree. Was it Varys that told him or did some other weasel whisper in somebody's ear, you know, that, that, that night who Ares was determined was part of a plot to bring him down because he could sense that that was in the air, right? Mm-hmm. He's at Hall, and he knows what, what they were all planning, you know? Right. So the whole reason he was there, the whole reason he goes is to kind of sniff out who's plotting against him. So he thinks he's found it. <laughs> and in this this mystery night. And so come to find out that, you know, it's Liana Stark, if he finds that out, you know, he's gonna connect it with Rickard Stark and, you know, plotting, plotting, plotting. So the idea is that he sent soldiers to arrest Liana Stark uh in the Riverlands. Uh, and she was probably traveling to uh River Run. Mm-hmm. At the time, Brandon had uh, left River Run to go and meet her. Uh, they were; She had been maybe staying nearby. The popular idea is that she had maybe even stayed at Harrenhal for some time. Uh, just in the, one of these extended visits like the nobility do. Mm-hmm. They just go park themselves in each other's castle and stay for a long time. Uh, and so now she's on her way to, to River Run because that's... Uh, where her brother is going to marry Catlin Tully, and at the same time, her father and, and Ned are probably, you know, heading back from wherever they had dispersed to, also all trying to get back to River Run. So, Inn at the crossroads is a great place for people to meet. Mm. And we see it happen time and time again. People, you know, things come together there. Uh, that's our episode was actually about all of the things that happen at the mm-hmm. inn at the crossroads, which was you know, right in the beginning Game of Thrones, you see Catelyn abducting
2: <gasps> Tyrion
1: at the end of the crossroads. So if, in fact, Aerys is, has sent for Lyanna to be arrested and Rhaegar found out about it, you know, he's, he's probably got his spies in his father's court keeping tabs on things, so he gets word at Dragonstone. Your father's just sent to troop of gold cloaks into the Riverlands to arrest mm-hmm. uh, Lyanna Stark, which by the way, is a lovely little parallel to gold cloaks going out into the Riverlands looking for... Uh, well, they're actually looking for Gendry, but you know, there, Arya is there and she thinks they're looking for her. Uh, then he would probably think, uh, I have to go stop this because he knows that she's just an innocent Young maid, right? Mm-hmm. And that is that was his goal. So he charges to the Riverlands. He comes. He finds Lyanna, and whisks her away to safety. So it's a rescue, not a kidnapping. And you know, the whole idea of gold cloaks and and you know, so different armed kind of groups coming and. Fighting, perhaps, or just being there, you know, and small folk seeing it, watching it, news traveling. Uh, some of them obviously going back to King's Landing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: probably the ones that didn't have Liana, uh, would explain why then Brandon Stark would arrive there some period of time later. We don't know how much time. Was it hours? Was it days? We don't really know. But uh, and hear the story that she had been. Kidnapped by the prince and gone back to King's Landing because Brandon doesn't start chasing after wherever Rhaegar really went. Mm-hmm. He follows some group of people back to King's Landing and demands that Rhaegar comes out and dies. Uh, so Whoops. Yeah, hot-headed, wolf-blooded. But uh, what's interesting, that, that theory first occurred to me when I was studying uh, some Arthurian links to the text and I came across a story where uh, Queen Guinevere was sentenced to die um, by Arthur, but by the king. So, the king has sentenced Guinevere to die by burning at the stake Mm -hmm. for treason. And she is actually bound to the post and about to burn. And then Lancelot comes charging in and rescues her and carries her away to his home, which is called Joyous Guard. <gasps> and Guard is an old medieval word for tower. Right. So um so he's basically Lancelot takes Guinevere to the Tower of Joy. <laughs> <laughs> And, oh, um, George. Yeah. <laughs> and so, that occurred to me and I thought, well, wow, you know, we, we also have a king that like to burn people. So, True. you know, let's see where this can, where this goes. And, you know, and you start to sort of put together all the parts and pieces, especially if you start breaking it down by who is with Rhaegar, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, it really it becomes, I, I mean, I think it's a pretty compelling um possibility anyways explain a lot of things that otherwise might not make sense
0: yeah that was one of those uh one of those episodes from you guys and i was just like okay well this this is just true now this is just what i think the headcanon has been adopted about this one um yeah it makes a lot of sense especially with the differences of opinion we know between Ares and rhaegar that rhaegar is obviously and um i mean Varys versus rhaegar is kind of the tension in the and the royalty at that time, and that we also know that Rhaegar gets disinherited during all of this. Well, why would he get disinherited for running away with Lyanna Stark? Well, it could be because he essentially betrayed Aerys and defied his demands and said, you can't have this girl. And Aerys is like, I'm the king. I burn everybody. I can do whatever I want. Well, it's like, well, then they eventually uh, talked and they worked it out and he explained and said Lyanna wasn't part of anything, blah, blah, blah. And that, that kind of just like solves that whole weird little plot line of mm-hmm. why were they even at odds at each other when they were on the same side? Well, this mm-hmm. is why. It's Liana. It was, he was saving her from the dragon's wrath, basically. And also, uh, this was for, this whole little section was for um, uh, Crimson Kate, uh, one of my new patrons who was also in the chat. Uh, she said, I just thought, I just like to listen to uh, Lee Gwyn talk about uh, Liana and Rhaegar's Ar- Arthurian illusions and symbolism. Uh, she talked about it some in the Arthurian symbolism, a Song of Ice and Fire, Rhea Westeros patron episode, but there was a lot to cover there. I could listen to her talk about Arthurian symbolism and Song of Ice and Fire all day. I think this is one of the richest areas of that particular illusion, a Song of Ice and Fire. So this one, oh, there she is. Uh, Women of Ice and Fire. Yeah, this one is for you. That question was yours. <laughs> Um, okay, where were we? Let me go back up to the top. Uh, we kind of went over all this next section. I was going to skip ahead. Um, so what, what's kind of Liana's legacy in Westeros? And actually a little bit beyond Westeros. And this is what kind of where we're going to get into. And like I was talking about with Rhaegar, even though he's dead, he kind of keeps coming up. And Lyanna sort of does too in this very, um, bizarre way. I mean, the first one is obviously Ned. where uh, Ned is traumatized by not only Robert's rebellion and the war itself, but also finding Lyanna dead in the Tower of Joy. Um, Ned has to bring John back to Winterfell and then essentially lie to his whole family and the entire realm that the baby is his own bastard. Uh, Lyanna makes this infamous promise. Uh, we don't really know what the promise is. The show did um, answer that in a, some kind of way. I'm not sure if it will be the exact same thing. Obviously, they also named... John Aegon, which is very controversial in the fandom, if that's actually his real name.
1: <laughs>
0: but from uh, a brand vision, we can likely see what the promise was, and it's likely to raise John as his own and keep him safe against Robert's wrath. And there's the quote here: it says, "Lord Edard seemed much younger this time. His hair was brown with no hint of gray in it. His head bowed. Let them grow up close as brothers, with only love between them. He prayed, and let my wait, and let my lead life." Let my lady wife find it in her heart to forgive. So all the tensions that he's creating with Catelyn, the, the way that he's breaking his relationship with Robert is all likely because he's keeping his word to his younger sister that he will raise John as a Stark and that he won't send him away and that he won't let Robert get anywhere near him. And that's an important part. Um, we know that John grows up looking like Liana. Ned doesn't know that. <laughs> What if he Mm -hmm. ends up with purple eyes? What if what if his initially dark hair suddenly turns blonde? It's not unusual for a baby's hair color to change. Like, for instance, you can see, uh, well, I have silver hair now, but it was, um, you know, I when I was born, I was born blonde. And then my hair very quickly turned brown. Like, you can't know that John's not going to look anything like a Targaryen as a baby. Mm -hmm. So you have Mm -hmm. to keep him away, not only from Robert, but from everyone at court. Because if they find out, Robert has declared to Ned that you know he's, he kills Rhaegar every night in his dreams. That he tried to kill Viserys and Danny. alias um, kids were, were killed as well. So you have to believe little Jon or Aegon or whatever his real name is would not be safe anywhere near Robert Baratheon. And Ned takes that seriously, essentially severing his relationship with the Iron Throne and living almost as a hermit in the North outside of Balon's rebellion.
1: Yeah. Think about the anxiety that you know is uh, just the anxiety that Robert's you know he thinks Robert's hatred of the Targaryens is a madness mm-hmm. in him, and the anxiety that that must have provoked in him as as that child grew
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he wondered and worried, like you said, if he was going to turn out to be obviously Rhaegar's son, uh, you know, or I mean, just at any moment, you know, people could put two and two together. I mean, yeah. one one thing that interests me is, uh, you know, Catelyn has this thought where she thinks uh, about Jon Snow, whoever his mother was, she had left little of herself in him, uh, which is, which opposite, honey. Opposite, right? Exactly. <laughs> she left all of herself in him. And but the thing that I was saying earlier about how, you know, Arya looks like John. Aria looks like Lyanna. Therefore, John looks like Lyanna. Uh, Lyanna died in the south. John was born in the south. I mean, if Catelyn had ever gotten beyond, you know, the way she felt about things as they as her point of view as they affected her mm-hmm. and her children. Uh, and started to really kind of think about it uh, in a in sort of standing outside the situation, you know she could have gotten there, yeah, or at least started poking around and and thinking about things in a different way. She definitely could have gotten there. other people could have gotten there. people uh assume that Rhaegar raped Lyanna a hundred times, I and mean, that's something that that Robert says, mm-hmm. well, no one ever, I mean, it's not really explained how she died.
0: Right, Ned doesn't um, talk about it.
1: Ned doesn't talk about it, but you would think at any point, um, surely they, there are people like us in Westeros who would be going, hmm, something <laughs> doesn't add up here. <laughs> There's gotta be another explanation, which is, I, in my opinion, that's where um a Shardane comes in because she has a bit of that look. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got purple eyes, and you know, obviously, if we can just let people think that, yeah, maybe maybe I Ned did have an affair with a Shardane and in that this is the result of that, but we're never going to talk about it at least that way, if the baby turns up having purple eyes at least it makes year, sense then, yeah it, it makes it's something that would be explainable. Uh, you've still forbidden everyone from ever talking about it, but they could knowingly look at the baby and go, "Oh yeah, see, he's got his mother's eyes."
0: And everyone remembers Ned having a crush on her at the tournament, so mm-hmm. it's it works yeah. out nicely as a cover story. Yeah. It, but I, I I find it really interesting that it's for Liana that this gulf exists between House Baratheon and House Stark when they were so they were on track to be essentially united that Liana and Robert were going to be married and then Robert brings that up later it's like well I didn't get to marry Liana but I can marry my son to your daughter and that and that will just finish this but the ghost of Liana in this case just continues hanging over the relationship and it really defines almost everything Ned does where he's constantly running from this secret and constantly trying to essentially like soothe tensions that come from it like not, not only just with Callan but John obviously he can't have not noticed that John is growing up quite distraught at his place in the family and mm-hmm. he can never tell him he just has to deal with it and all because of this one promise from his little sister and that's mm-hmm. it's very tragic like it's it's the promise was made out of um love for her child and Ned keeps it out of love with his little sister but it's a, obviously a fairly a noble thing he's doing and it just it's destroying his life around him
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. very sad
1: yeah it is an interesting thing about Ned's inner thoughts is that he, well he thinks about promises and blue winter roses and Lyanna a lot mm-hmm. but he also thinks about Rhaegar a lot yeah an awful lot and yet there are there'll be these moments when it's like for the first time in years <laughs> Ned thought about Rhaegar you're like no you thought about him like five <laughs> pages ago he thinks about Rhaegar or mentions him in almost every single one of his chapters. Yeah. Uh he comes up and, and he never thinks bad things about him.
0: Nope.
1: Never, never, never. Uh in fact, in that one chapter, you know, when they're out uh meeting uh Bara um uh, mm-hmm. with Littlefinger, the, the, the chapter that ends with him with uh them being ambushed in the street by Jamie, uh he's thinking about um Liana. And Rhaegar, and wondering if Rhaegar ever visited whorehouses, like nope. <laughs> uh, like his good buddy Robert, who's you know fathered a child on one of these young girls here. And he thinks, no, probably not. In fact, so he compares Rhaegar to Robert in his thoughts, and Robert comes up wanting. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like um, I don't think Ned really holds a grudge against Rhaegar Targaryen, in spite of it all. Right. It, it's a, a very peculiar thing about his inner thoughts, which is quite different, obviously from what he has to the line that he has to hold to.
0: Right. Outside. He's, he's taught his kids that Rhaegar is a monster. That's what brand mm-hmm. thinks. Yeah. So yeah. another line of uh, lies he's forcing to tell himself, uh, another character that Liana still is basically alive for until his death. And that's Robert Baratheon. Um, His relationship to Lyanna is very, very similar to, and I love this comparison by George. It's extremely similar to Ray to Cersei's relationship to Rhaegar, where -hmm. the love that they feel for these characters is not one that's about them as people. Like Robert barely knew Lyanna, Cersei barely knew Rhaegar, but both of them had internalized at a young when they first met them that this is where their life is going. Everything's going to be about them, and if they had just had these these two. Uh, people in their lives mm-hmm. as their as their partners, then everything would have turned out well. And I I really love that line where Ned essentially goes like, "Hey, reality check, Robert. You didn't know her. Right. <laughs> like the things you think about her are not the real person." Exactly. Um, like I said, uh, this ha- in that um, that stream I talked about. It's like Cersei and John Connington, even Barristan. All these people thought they knew Rhaegar, and they really, really didn't. Especially what was. Truly in his heart when we're talking about, you know, the prince I was promised and his desire to save the world and the stuff he talked about with Aemon. Well, Liana held all this back. Um, not because like that's that she's a particularly secretive character like Rhaegar, it's just that she lives in the north. Nobody really knows her. Like mm-hmm. it's really hard to get up there. And yeah. and this this has continued to affect Robert to the current day, where there's the story on their wedding night where he whispers Liana's name to Cersei as they're having sex, like. Come on, Robert! Ouch. Don't do that. Ouch! And even uh, Renly's plot to replace Cersei with Marjorie Tyrell is based on Lyanna Stark. Like Renly has that one very weird interaction where he goes up to Ned and shows him the picture of Marjorie and says like, "Doesn't she look like Lyanna?" And it's like, not, "Not really. What are you doing?"
1: Like, no, it's weird. <laughs> poor Ned. He just doesn't get it. But
0: <laughs> it is interesting but- that she continues to live in Robert's heart, even in like this yeah. very incorrect way.
1: Yeah, she does. And and Cersei, as we see when we get her point of view, <clears throat> mm-hmm. same thing for her. I mean, right? she's got Rhaegar. So, you know, the, there's just that, like you're saying, there's just tremendous parallel between the two of them pining. I think Cersei says to Robert, the wrong, the wrong man came back from the Trident. You know, she just... Uh, That's all linked together mm-hmm. in, in her memories and in, in her brain. Uh, and And truly, the real winners of Robert's Rebellion were Reikard and Lyanna, who become this sort of tragic love story for the ages. And then you just get Robert and Cersei get each other (laughs) and all this shitty aftermath.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When you look at who they were when they were young, anybody, like most people in the Seven Kings would be like marrying Robert Baratheon or Cersei Lannister. Like, that'd be like a dream come true. Robert was... Tall and handsome and strong, and he was an amazing battle commander. Cersei is one of the most beautiful women in the Seven Kingdoms, Mm -hmm. one of the, well, not an heir to Cashley Rock, but I mean, like, powerful alliances, powerful people, big personalities, and they just couldn't be more miserable because they don't have Lyanna and Rhaegar.
1: Yeah, they can't get beyond that, you know, these these people from the past who are dead now. Robert uh, muscled like a maiden's fantasy.
0: As Ned Ooh, says, always a weird line.
1: <laughs> <That's laughs> Whose fantasy, strange. Ned? Whose fantasy, fantasy is, that? is that? all? But I guess the point is, anyone, like you said, anyone should have been happy with that. And Cersei even thinks, you know, the day they were married, there was a moment when they, they could have been happy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Although then she realized that Jamie was there. <laughs> Whoops. Oh. And then he called her Lyanna, and I guess that was the end of that. But wow. really, you know, between Robert pining for Lyanna until his last breath, mm. and Cersei still pining, thinking, pining for Rhaegar uh, to the point where she, you know, gives away an entire fleet of ships to Orain Waters. Just- <laughs> because so stupid he looks like Rhaegar.
0: And she goes, oh, I guess he doesn't really. It's like, really, <laughs> Cersei?
1: Really? Oh, Lord. So her challenge, I guess, is going to be uh, leaving that past behind. Can can she actually escape the memory of Moana mm. Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen in the Winds of Winter? Or are they going to continue to sort of, you know, cast this shadow over her storyline?
0: It's amazing when you think about, when you're talking about, like, obviously Rhaegar's coming up a lot in Cersei's story, but also as Lyanna and it's, it's in a very, like, very mean way. Kevin Lannister does this too, where Cersei has developed a complex about Lyanna Stark mm-hmm. where she, she wanted Rhaegar to leave Elia, Elia, but for her, not for this stupid wolf girl from the North that like as as we've talked about that she is not the the great beauty that Robert thinks she is like Cersei's like I'm the most beautiful I'm the most powerful why doesn't he want me mm. and it it'll be fun well not, I don't know if it'll be fun but it'll be interesting to think about when Cersei eventually if she encounters Jon Snow again like will she recognize Leonas face in his will that be like something that maybe not consciously but something that like make puts her off about him or even Arya if if uh George ends up putting some kind of some time gap, I mean obviously not a five year gap, but if she grows up a little bit more during her time and she fully starts looking like Liana Stark, is that something Cersei will think about? Mm-hmm. Will she go, oh, it's her again, the stupid the stupid girl that took my love from me?
1: Mm-hmm. I would love to see that sort of like at the at the end that uh, yeah, <laughs> when she when Cersei realizes well, she's oh doing that. God. She's
0: she's resurrecting Rhaegar in her memory constantly. Mm-hmm. She links the two. And in a way, she never really blames Rhaegar. She blames Lyanna for being mm-hmm. like the seductress that stole her perfect prince. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know about that one, Cersei. You have internalized a lot of weird stuff about Lyanna. Um, and one uh, one character that like what we were talking about early on, that's Benjen Stark and how much Lyanna has Mm -hmm. affected him. I mean, we presume he's dead. He might not be. Oh, also Bernie in the chat wants to remind you guys that we're 15 likes away from me putting on a hat. So slam that like button. 212 people watching. Uh, Thank you guys for spending your Saturday with me and Lady Gwyn talking about uh, Lyanna Stark. Um, Where is it? Up here. That 15 more likes hat's going on. Um, It also helps out the channel a lot. But Benjen... His reaction to the end of Robert's Rebellion is is a total mystery, but one that's super fascinating, especially when you consider that that he and Lyanna were the closest of the two of the Stark siblings. So when you have have, uh, Ned come home with Jon Snow, and there starts to be these rumors flying that maybe this isn't Ned's child, and then all of a sudden, well, Ned then confronts Catelyn and says, who told you? She... Doesn't really say, but Ned goes, I'm going to figure it out. And then very quickly afterwards, Benjen Stark leaves for the Night's Watch. Now, I think it's a logical assumption to make that, the re- that those two things have to be linked, especially that Benjen offered to give Lyanna, or offered to give in the Armor to be the Knight of the Laughing Tree. He's probably very much aware. He may have been there when Rhaegar came across Lyanna after the tournament. Because obviously he has the armor. Maybe he that he was strapping her up for it. Um, and also when Ned comes home with a child and he knows that the truth about Rhaegar and Liana, he mm-hmm. goes, is that really your kid, Ned? I don't mm-hmm. think you would do this, but I definitely yeah. know those two might.
1: Right. He's the one that's going to make that connection. If, if anyone, if no one else, mm-hmm. he's the one that's going to figure that out for sure.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I have to put on a hat. One second.
1: The hat is coming
2: oh. uh, we got there <laughs> put it on my uh put on my old wizard hat um and even when we see
0: which also adds a totally different layering to the conversations between benjen stark and Jon snow where you can go back and reread that, those chapters, especially when John got drunk and said, I want to join the Night's Watch. And Benjamin's like, hey, man, maybe pump the brakes on that. Read those back and read it with the knowledge that he probably knows exactly who John is.
2: Hmm.
0: Makes for a very interesting reread. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually, although Benjamin was probably angry at the time when he joined the Night's Watch, I, I think a lot of people don't put a lot of thought into exactly how Bad a move that was at a time. Like the Starks are almost gone. If Ned doesn't have any children and Benjamin doesn't have any children, the Starks are going to go extinct. Basically, it's kind of on Benjamin at this point as a young man who's not married to also get married and start producing the next generation. With I mean, with Brandon and Lyanna gone, mm-hmm. and instead mm-hmm. he essentially gives Ned the middle finger and goes joins the Night's Watch. You have to you have to see that as as a maybe just a retribution to what he thinks is unfair treatment of Jon Snow. Mm.
2: I, also, yeah, interesting. I also
0: love thinking of this, um, this one quote from him. He says, you might, if you know what it meant, Benjamin said, if you knew what the oath would cost you, you might be less eager to pay the price on. Now, obviously, Jon takes that in terms of maybe get married and have a kid. Benjamin may be talking about, hey, you're a claimant to the Iron Throne, my dude. You, give, you might be giving all this up. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs>
0: they can't say that because he's sort of come to terms. He and Ned have obviously, um, uh, what's the right word? They have reconciled, they probably had a chance to talk about it, Ned explained what happened, Benjamin over the years has softened, and so he understands why Ned's doing what he's doing, even if he disagrees. hmm <clears throat> Uh, so
2: I thought we'd get into now... Ooh. <laughs> My hat's going wild. Hang on a second. Pushing. Oh, that's right. I'm going to push that back. There we go. Finally. There we go. Um,
0: so I want to talk about a little bit. What is... This is Liana's effect now, assuming Benjamin never comes back. I mean, that's that's kind of over. But what about what she's? what is her effect going to be on the Winds of Winter? And I mean, the first one obviously has to be Jon Snow, right? Will he ever find out about RLJ and what will that mean for
2: him?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, reveals are coming, right? I mean, they have to. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's on some level. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that reveals have to come all at once or all, you know, to everyone at once or, or anything like that. I'd rather suspect that the, uh, reader will typical George, he's going to spoon feed you with bits and pieces here and there. And probably the reader will mm-hmm. know it explicitly. Not that we don't already know it. I think we know it. Uh, but reader's going to know it explicitly probably before John does. But when will John find out?
0: Oof! Uh, some people have thought, during his resurrection, that maybe mm-hmm. during that weird time, maybe he'll get some images or something like that. Um, will Brand tell him how and Reed still has to uh re-enter the story at some point, George just said. Um mm-hmm. Benjamin if he's ever alive, that would be something. But I wanted to, one thing I wanted to think about was like I was I was chilling with this idea during my Rhaegar stream where you tell John RLJ it it redefines his place in society, but it doesn't I'm not sure how much it really means to him on a personal level, because he doesn't think about Rhaegar, he doesn't think about Liana. It's not like it's not like he broods all the time about what a monster Rhaegar was for what he did to his mother. This is a plot line that's basically been kept from him by George. This is instead something that largely comes up through other characters. For him, he thinks about his mother in sort of a general way, like what was he what was she like? That's the information he wants. He wants personal information about them, like and to connect with them to find his place in the world. And we note that you know he gets sort of his brooding, like kind of sad boy nature from Rhaegar, but everything else seems to be from Liana, like you were talking about, where it's like, what did he get from his mother? Well, everything. Uh in particular, uh where we're talking about with the wolf blood, John externally acts like Ned. He acts like Lord Snow. But well, you know inside he has strong feelings of passion and rage about different uh, aspects of his life. For instance, not being the heir to Winterfell, when he almost kills Iron Emmett just thinking about a memory. When when he's deciding what to do with his life, he chooses adventure on the wall, which is not a thing he has to do. There's other things bastards can do, like many of them stay at court. Um, if maybe at some point he could have gotten a cadet branch. He could have been attorney knight. He could have done any of these sort of things, but he decides the, the wall is for him. And that's something I would associate with the wolf bloodedness of Liana. It's it's a life supposedly of an adventure, and one thing that sticks out like a massive amount is his relationship to Egret, where you have to imagine the the feelings that overwhelm him, and when he's deciding whether or not he's going to sleep with her, and whether or not they're going to be a couple. Maybe that's something Lyanna went through when she's dealing with the uh, already married Rhaegar Targaryen and leaving mm-hmm. behind the life that's planned out for her with Robert Baratheon. Like, you know, the classic heart in conflict with itself, that ha- that has to have been a part of Lyanna's decision making when she runs away with Rhaegar at first, and but then also decides to stay. It's a sign to stay that's the important part for her. She doesn't have to do that part. She could just go home. She could go back to River Run. that's things. but. She decides to continue this, whatever she's doing with Rhaegar, which, yeah, I think that's a direct
2: comparison with Egret. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: think that's a good point.
2: Um, and this is, what
0: does, what does John learning about Lyanna actually do for him, you know, as a character? What, what do you think? Like, what, what would be the impact <laughs> of him? It also matters the information he gets. But what do you think the reaction Mm -hmm. will be? Lyanna Stark, that woman in the crypts you never think about, is his mother.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it it could be, number one, validation. Because when he thinks about his mother, he wants wants to believe that she was beautiful and kind and highborn. Mm -hmm. And for him to learn that she was all of those things would be really powerful for him. Because when he gets... <clears throat> to the Night's Watch, you know, he, he has these, uh, you know, these bullies who start teasing him and telling him his mother was some, you know, some whore or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're really planting these ideas in his head that he never contemplated because, you know, Ned Stark is so honorable and he mm-hmm. would never do anything like that. So, you know, the, in Jon's mind, there has to be some sort of tragic Kind of you know story that is that explains his existence uh, without anything kind of sordid or nasty entering into the equation mm-hmm. and so for him to find out that you know maybe that is actually true that that he's his mother was you know sort of a, had the starring role in this classic, this tragic romance that. Mm-hmm has been framed as a seminal moment in Westerosi history. I mean, that might be very powerful and and good for him. The other thing that might happen though is if he finds this out without the proper context, uh, something you said earlier, Ned has clearly allowed his children to believe or inc- even encouraged them to believe Robert Baratheon's version of mm-hmm. events, which is that ba- Rhaegar basically raped Lyanna to death. Right, And whatever I'm not even sure how that works. But, you know, he well, kept her prisoner and, you know, tortured her and then she died. Right. And nobody really knows of what. But that's the, the gist of the story. And if John actually believes that story, and then he finds out that his parents are Rhaegar and Liana, like let's say he finds it out from a vision or or something like that, before there's any greater context given right. to him. He could come away with some very negative uh, thoughts about his father. You, you know, he's not necessarily going to find this, find out this truth, and be like, "Oh, my parents were both wonderful people." <laughs> yeah, right. He, he might come away thinking, "I am um, the, I'm a bastard born of rape, and you know, my father was a horrible person who deserved what you know deserved everything he got." And more.
0: It's almost so, like his opinions of Targaryens in the future is a very important thing as he intersects with the other one that's out there.
1: Exactly. Yes. Who has this really interesting, uh, she's got her own sort of interesting take on the whole Rhaegar and Liana story.
0: That's right. She believes the story that Viserys told her that it was one of love and that it's a tragic story akin to Duncan, Prince of Dragonflies and Jenny of Oldstones, that it was star-crossed lovers that, I mean, Viserys says some very fruitful things about Elia that she doesn't deserve, but generally the story that she knows is that this was, (laughs) that this was uh, a relationship of love. And when you consider that, When, when she, when Dany interacts with Jon Snow, will she think of this story? Will she think of Rhaegar and Lyanna or will she also think of Duncan Prince of Dragonflies and Jenny of Oldstones? There's some, there's similarities between those stories that if she starts falling for Jon when they meet each other, that these could be what she latches onto as a person, which, but as we, as you were talking about, George has set it up that it's very possible that. John hates those stories now. That he thinks of the Targaryens in those stories as evil, the wrong person, and how <laughs> that that dichotomy of John's own reaction to his own to his own parentage could put him at odds with Danny, and maybe even prejudice against him against her. That maybe she's more the Mad King's daughter than um, who she is more generally accepted to be, which is a far kinder person than Ares and much more caring about um, the people around her. But that's not the association John may get from her, especially Mm -hmm. with Eamon dead. Mm -hmm. Eamon definitely could have given a lot of context to him about Rhaegar that is now gone. Sad. Let's
1: have a moment of silence for Eamon. Group aim and <laughs> so, I always have moments and,
0: assignments for him, and, and um, the f- and
1: the fact that uh, <laughs> that he is just not going to be there to be the voice of wisdom when we probably are desperately going to need.
0: Him. <laughs> yeah, and then there's even on top of that. So there's the conflicting opinions of that story about a Stark and a Targaryen. But what but what happens if they both also learn the truth about that, where Danny. Who's I mean, they they did a very, I think, abbreviated version of this with um with John and Danny with her learning about RLJ and her instantly going like, You're a threat to me and all these things. But it will probably be a lot more complicated internally mm. that she now has to weigh the fact that she very much likes this character of Jon Snow, but mm-hmm. also now he's also a threat to her. But right. John's doing the same thing where he's like, Well, he's very fond of Danny, but he's also she's also a threat because of well, she's married to the Mad King sort of thing. And it's a way for George to, I guess, manufacture well it's not to manufacture, but introduce conflict where you don't think there really would be just because of the sources of inf- about the same information, basically.
1: Right. I think one thing that, that the show missed, and uh, this is going to be, you know, in the books, you're going to get this human heart in conflict with itself. Danny is uh, desperate for family. Mm. It's, it's something that she's never known outside of Viserys and you know, well, he was garbage, but but still,
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: still her. She has these occasional fond thoughts of him, where she remembers him in his good moments because they did have good moments, and he is it, he was the only family she ever knew, and she's very obviously yearns for family that. Mm-hmm. that thoughts about the red door and going back to Westeros, that's all her yearning for home, uh, which represents family. And so when I think that when she finds out that she has family, uh, I, you know, there could be some of this, what, what the show kind of gave us that she went, it's, you know, this is a problem, but I also think there's going to be a lot more of her struggling with the internally being overjoyed that she has family. I mean, this could come into play with, uh, with Fagon too,
2: mm, very to true. be honest,
1: you know? So, um, and if that, depending on the sequence of those events, you know, she could be more cynical by the time it, it comes out with John. You know, mm-hmm. well, I've you know, been through this before and that didn't work. Another child well. yes, exactly. So but I still think it's gonna be a, a much much more of a conflicted thing for her rather than just automatically going, off
2: he's a threat. Right. You
0: know? yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be create a lot of um what, what's the word for it? it? Create a lot of I can't think of the phrase, but um essentially a oh, cognitive dissonance. Where so many different parts of herself are now totally at odds with each other and she's going to have to work out those feelings and soul John at the same time and really well done by George to set it up so that like so far along in these books, he's just planting these little seeds that he can exploit these to create conflict between them, even as they uh, come closer together. Mm -hmm. Well done. Beautiful. Yes. Um, And since we're talking about the sources of information, obviously, there's two main sources of information for how this could come about. Uh, The big one is Howland Reed. And they have to show up, right? Well, Howland is. George has said Howland will show up. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, again, the context for why this matters to John. And we were talking about it earlier. Howland knows Lyanna and he knows her as the knight of the laughing tree. And that is a story that paints Lyanna in a very good light and also um gives some context to what why Rhaegar uh was fond of her mm-hmm. but when you're talking about John, who is constantly struggling with should you do the right thing or the smart thing should you like the with him and Ned where he's talking about um what would he do he would always do he would do what was right no matter what well Lyanna in this situation is living that lesson She beats the crap out of three squires. She joins a tournament as a mystery knight. She forces knights to beat up them squires again just because they were picking on Howlin Reed. That's information that might be very, very informative for John as he's weighing what he needs to do as the Winds of Winter and a Dream of Spring come crashing down around him. Reinforcing that duty and taking care of those who are helpless is more important than doing what's smart.
1: Mm-hmm. Or what's expected?
0: Or what's expected? Yeah. Like,
1: yeah,
0: going his own way and mm-hmm. living and really leaning into the idea of stark justice. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the show had John deal with that in a very abbreviated way, but he does that in terms of Ned. If it's also his mother that also acts this way, what you have to think that would affect him in a very big way. If, and especially if maybe that's all he knows about her. What if Howen <laughs> meets her? Meets John. Gives us information, and that's the story he has to hang his hat on for who she is, especially like we were talking about earlier with the connections to the old gods and how it seems like Blood Raven and maybe Future Bran are pushing John in particular path. That story is very, very important for maybe the goal of getting John to do something um, for the realm
2: <laughs> rather than what his heart wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And,
1: um, we don't know if, you know, is there anyone that could, uh, reveal anything to him about his father? No, just, you know, I mean, not, not that we're aware of. I mean, there's no evidence that Holland would have much information about that. Uh, anyone else that knows Rhaegar, um,
0: Connington's the closest and he's not going to help John.
1: Well, no, but there is one person Ooh. who hasn't revealed himself in the, in the text yet, and that is Rhaegar's other former squire, mm. Richard, Richard Londmouth. That's right. Uh, I, I think no matter uh, whether he turns up uh, in plain sight <laughs> or whether he just turns up as, you know, not someone that's been under our eyes all along, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm referring to Lem Lemon cloak, of course, because I don't want to derail it uh, derail this conversation, with <laughs> that. but I do want to say that I, I, one of the reasons why I think that uh, that Richard Lonmouth is important and and maybe is someone or or will turn up somewhere uh, is because he knows Rhaegar. and he's one person that we've never we don't know died. Everybody else we've said this a few times. Everybody else that knew Rhaegar died. Miles Mooton died and, Mm -hmm. you know, Arthur Dane is dead. And uh well, you mean you have Barriston. I
0: don't think he's gonna make it back to Westeros.
1: But yeah, I mean he's he's given us plenty of of his little you know thoughts about it. But I yeah, I don't think he's gonna be there telling Danny and John, counseling them about what Rhaegar did or didn't do so that you know so there's got to be some someone else if if John is ever to get this a sort of different perspective
2: mm-hmm.
1: about his father and um, you know that's one of the few people uh, that are noted to have been connected to Rhaegar specifically mentioned that kind of disappear and you don't know what happened to them and so that's Kind of wear the Lemon Cloak theory part of how it came about, but uh, this conviction that Monmouth has to be somewhere.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, and if, if he is somewhere, that um, he gets my vote for somehow revealing more about what happened with Rhaegar and Leonida, mm-hmm. and also, you know, a little bit more about Rhaegar's character, because I think we all would agree that we need. More of
0: that too. And John does, definitely. John um,
1: definitely does.
0: Uh, the other person that is positioned to know more about Rhaegar and maybe pass it on to John is, of course, Bran Stark. Uh, we mm-hmm. have to assume that Blood Raven is already aware of RLJ and he may have watched the whole thing, but depending on what Blood Raven passes on to Bran, about what his plan is and what he what Bran is supposed to do as the last Green Seer figure going forwards. It, that's one of those sources of information that I'm very skeptical about, about how it will be used. Like, is there a larger plan for John at play, and is it important that John's deceived? Because so far, he's been deceived about his identity his whole life. Obviously, um, Bloodraven and the rest of the Children in the Forest, and maybe even Howlin' Reed, have sought fit to deny John this information, even though they have it. So, you have to think that when it's revealed to them, they're waiting for a perfect moment, maybe, or they're waiting for the right moment to push him in a particular direction. And that's something that's scary about what Bran will be like once he gains these powers. Um, in the show, he, it's, sort of, it, it's sort of depicted his revealing to John. He does it through Sam, and he does it in a way that turns John against Danny. I don't know if, John, if Bran will be that Machiavellian. I guess in the in the books, but it's very it will be very interesting for what he does once he has it. Oh, I have to put on a different hat. Go ahead. Sorry. was
1: just, just noticing this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there we go. Germ hat. So what do you think about that? What do you think about Brand's role in this? Will do you, do you think he has a role? Do you think he will have a a, a particular way he presents it to push John in some direction?
1: Uh yeah that's interesting i think i I think what you said kind of nailed it that it's it's got to be it's down to whether how Bloodraven presents it to him mm-hmm. um in large part uh, I think he's definitely the the role is there for him to show or to be for him to be aware uh whether he is able to share that information with John right away or not mm-hmm. is is anybody's guess because we don't know at what point they'll come back together in the text so right. we could it could be this sort of thing where I'm saying like saying that the the, the reader's going to know before John long before John knows so mm-hmm. we could see Bran having all these visions and and giving us the hints and things that and information that we need mm-hmm. to put it all together so. I mean, how much will he tell John? Um, I think depends on. I, I assume that similar to the show, and I assumed this before the show gave us this answer mm-hmm. if that's if you call it an answer that they will <laughs> see each other, yeah. at, at Winterfell, that that's where they're going to all be kind of come back together again. And uh, you know, I don't know, do they you know have this uh, sort of so- solemn meeting where Bran. Shows John all these these details that things that he needs to know, and are they pushing him in a direction? Uh, Could the direction he tries to push him in be away from Daenerys, for instance? Um, You know, if Bloodraven has a plan that doesn't involve Danny, or maybe Bloodraven sees what's going to happen with Danny if it's something negative. You know, they they could be um, making an effort to steer John away from her. You know, and he could maybe not take kindly to that, because
0: could send him into a rage. He is kind of a passionate guy, just like his mother.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could be like the way the it's presented.
0: I love a, her. <laughs> yeah, could have a very big impact on him. Uh, mm-hmm. I do. I this is something I'll probably talk about in the future. But I am fascinated that the children. Through Blood Raven and Howland are most likely aware of who John is and they're holding it back. That mm-hmm. does, like I know like at some level it's hard to separate Blood Raven from George because they sort of operate in the same place in the story. But you understand why George is. Like, why are they? Why aren't they pushing this forwards when they have it? When they and when they seemingly had a role in it with Howland? Like, is Howland staying back on orders? Like, what is he waiting for? I would love to know those, those answers. Hopefully we'll get them. We didn't get them from the show. Uh, well, we got a version from it. I don't really know about that. Um, mm. We'll see about that. And <laughs> one, uh, one last possibility that I think is going to make a lot of people not super happy, and that is undead Lyanna Stark. The Crips, her bones are down there. Could the ghost of Lyanna really actually show up in the story? <laughs> John thinks there's something horrible waiting for him in the Crips. Um, obviously the others are necromancers. Mm -hmm. Well, we actually see Liana in sort of, well, not the flesh, but I guess the bones. What do you think about that?
1: I think that's horrifying.
0: (laughs) And George (laughs) likes horror.
1: He does. He certainly does. Now. I think, you know, there's definitely, uh, something waiting in the crypts for John, whether it's just metaphorically waiting Mm -hmm. as in your mother's down there and there's a reveal, Of some sort, maybe the horror is that that you know he finds out or thinks thinks what he finds out is that he was you know the product of this horrific rape or something. You Mm. know, Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that something similar to what happened in the show is what's going to happen. It's it's too much, you know the The iron swords on their laps Mm -hmm. and and all that stuff to keep the dead from rising. And then, you know, you have the ones that don't have the iron swords or the swords have rusted away. And it's this, it's just too much that all that stuff is specifically (laughs) noted. So
0: George really wants you to think that something terrible is going to happen in the crypts. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, this is something that, the. I think is misunderstood by a lot of people the crypts don't just have the kings the kings are the only ones with the statues though there's a lot of dead Starks down there Um is unusual that she got a statue but I don't think she got the sword either so even if you believe in the iron sword thing like
2: mm-hmm.
0: is she like is her body unprotected from the others' powers like who knows it seems like I've talked about this before I do think that George is you have to have something terrible happen in the crypts, and the necromancy power seems to just fit the bill, which yeah. will suck terribly. Although people in the chat are pointing out, Liana's just a pile of bones, could you actually resurrect her? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean...
0: Who knows? I guess,
1: yeah, but... It's up know. to George, it's, a, it's, it's up, his it's fantasy. It's up to George, whether we see walking skeletons, but... Yeah.
0: <laughs> he does a lot of weird things in those books, like, what? what the hell was the shadow baby that kind of came out of nowhere he can decide his magic rules as he feels like it
1: right right Um, skeletons yeah yeah.
0: skelly boys
2: yeah Uh,
0: so i wanted to go over some of the patron questions i got in from youtube um so we talked about some already obviously the one from uh kate who definitely wanted to talk about Arthurian legend done Mm -hmm. uh this is one we brought up earlier eric forig asks was liana a warg because the explanation that people give to it is that her and Brandon Stark are noted to be, they're called half centaurs, which is a you know a half horse, half man. And a lot of times skin changers are described that way, where it's like a human head on top of an animal body. So is that a sort of thing that's leading us to believe that maybe that generation of Starks were latent wargs? Because a lot of the times. Um, wargs and skin changers don't know they are those they just know they have an affinity Mm -hmm. with animals being good at writing could be maybe a hint of that what do you think lady quinn
1: well i think you know it's just the fact that it's noted that skin changers are very very rare
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um you know they're uh, one in a thousand thousand or something like Mm -hmm. that you know uh and i think that it's it's something extremely unique that all the ones In this generation, are skin changers. Uh, I don't think there's ever been any implication that, you know, Ned and Benjamin have any abilities along those lines. And I think that it would be very, very unusual for that really rare gift to show up in two consecutive generations of people. Mm -hmm. So I tend to think that she was just a natural horsewoman that, you know, what Harwin says about her, you know, she was just horse mad, and she, she <laughs> just a horse to, girl. It's just one of those horse girls, you know, and she just <laughs> loved to loved to ride her horse. And um, but you know, this is George R. R. Martin, so
2: I like it in terms
0: <laughs> of um, backfilling an explanation. So hmm. it's noted that all of Ned's kids are are wargs and skin changers. George has said that, even now, the ones who don't know it, like Sansa. But John is not Ned's kid. So if there's something genetic going on, why is he also a mm. warg? But also that um, he's called a very powerful warg by Vermeer Sixskins. So if George wanted to backfill that explanation that the entire generation before had skin changer genes or the powers as well, that would at least go some way to explaining why at the eventual reveal, how come John has it too, that Liana mm-hmm. was as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that definitely exists latently in their family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they merged in with all these lines of you know the Warg King and right. this and that, and they may have even some somewhere along the lines have children of the Forest um, blood in their in their bloodline. So, you know, wherever that pops out, I, I think that the fact that they are. Uh, you know the kings of old all had their wolves
2: mm-hmm.
1: on the, in their statues, right. almost like they were familiars. I think that's indicative that Starks being skin changers um, and having these companion wolves, dire wolves, is uh, definitely something that was a thing in the past. Sure, so, you know if if that's for whatever reason come back around again. Yeah. It can make
0: sense. Sure, George. Whatever you say, man. It's your world. I'm I willing um, to
1: accept whatever he says.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a question from the chat. Uh, Lady Rosalie Valarian. did Blood Raving contact Lyanna? Um, do you think there's... This is one of those sort of a more meta question. We know Rhaegar was following these ideas of prophecy, but was Lyanna too, or was she more amenable to it? Certainly, she was friends with Howan Reed, who seems to be involved with these kind of ideas is that a part of Rhaegar that maybe she found enticing that maybe when he opened his soul to her and told her about like, well, I think the end is coming and the prince that was promised, maybe there was something about that, that maybe resonated with her as a person.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, if anything, you hit the nail on the head with Howland because I think if, so I guess by transitive property, maybe, um, so, if Holland was on the Isle of Faces with the Green Men, um, mm-hmm. I have absolutely no doubt that Blood Raven has the ability to connect with whatever's going on there. So, you know, he certainly could have been one responsible, at least in part, for giving Holland visions or thoughts or. Or something more overt, you know, a mission or something, you know, mm-hmm. um, and getting information to Liana that way. Uh, so, yeah, that, backwards way, that way of doing surprise it. me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a
0: super chat from uh, Robert, five pounds. Uh, thank you so much. Very generous. He says, if John comes back more like Barrack or Stoneheart, what does that mean for RLJ in his origin
2: going into a dream of spring? and the winds of winter. So. Hmm. Um,
1: somebody recently, um, uh, pointed out a possible parallel to another, another work, which I'm not all that familiar with, but if, um, anyone is, uh, oh gosh, what is it even, um, the Robin Hobb series or one of her series somewhere, maybe someone in the chat even is aware of this because I think it was in one of our chats recently. I, I don't know if I think it's the Farseer series. She has a character who dies and spends time inside of a wolf, mm-hmm. which somehow protects his personality be, before he comes back. Um Aaron M says Farseer. I'm not sure if that that could be it. Um, but he, he uh, Robin Hobb, she and mm-hmm. George are, are friends. Right. So, and we know that he's very influenced by a lot of his friends' works. So, <laughs> um, so I thought this was an interesting, it was something I had never really thought of because I'm not really that familiar with her books. Uh, I've read, I think one of them only. Um, uh, but yeah, they have this, this thing where rather than you die and then you lose a little bit of yourself because where do you go? You know, mm-hmm. while in that time you're dead, which is the problem with lady Stoneheart, right? She was dead for three days. I mean, where did her being go for all that time, you know? Um, and, and Barrack talks about how you lose a little bit of yourself every time you come back. Well, if you're, you know, kind of safe and sound like it's like, think about your wolf as kind of like a little bottle that you just put your soul over in that little, <laughs> little bottle. And yeah. Keep it, keep it safe.
0: His horcrux. crux.
1: Yes. Exactly, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I so I think there's a possibility that John's resurrection is a little different than some of the ones we've seen,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: at least in the mechanics of it, uh, because we've we've always thought that he's morphed he's into ghost at the end at the end of uh, dance. so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, if that's the case, I mean, who knows? Or he might be more wolfish. So rather than actually having lost part of his personality in the transition, maybe he gains something from that.
0: Yeah, Um, maybe the wolf blood aspect that he got from Lyanna is played up, that he comes back angrier, that he comes back maybe more passionate and willing to follow his instincts rather than holding back like he does so much. Like Ned Mm -hmm. taught him restraint. That, that was that was one of his primary lessons. Restraint and duty versus what you want to do. If that gets eroded, that could be very challenging for John when he comes back. And especially like we've talked about, what if he learns about Rhaegar and Liana in the wrong way? What mm-hmm. if the the information is delivered in a way that makes him hate his birth and hate his parents for for thinking about the crimes that were supposedly done to Liana? Well, he may be more inclined to act on those emotions than he would have before his resurrection.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Whoops. Ah, George. Ah. It's like you're setting up John to do something that he will regret later in life. I wonder what that could be. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> uh another question here from um Lady of the Leaves, one of my patrons, she says, was Lyanna old enough or mature enough to make the decision to run away with Rhaegar? Was she aware of the political repercussions if Rhaegar won the war? A win would have meant a stronger bond of the North and the South, but we know how that went. What do you think, Lady Gwen?
1: Yeah, I do think she understood consequences. I mean, look at Rob. He's the same age. Marches off to war, becomes a king. I mean, he definitely understood consequences and had the ability to make uh, decisions. Mm-hmm. Even if you know, occasionally he had to solve with mom. I mean, he 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 wasn't helpless in it all. People in in this kind of society go from child to adult that, without stopping at adolescence. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's just there's no transition, you, or there is. just a boop, boop, one day you're a kid, next day you're an adult, um, <laughs> yeah. and that's. Just how it is, uh, and by and large, you think about members of the nobility are schooled in issues like politics, diplomacy, warfare, um, not necessarily girls in every family as a rule would receive the same education as their brothers, but we know as far as we know, Leona's mother wasn't really around, and she was very strong willed and she liked to keep up with her brothers, so um you know she she could have absorbed a lot of the education that mm-hmm. was being given to her brothers, um, along these lines. And I, you know, also they've like said before, she's very wise about people, mm-hmm. she, you know, the whole thing with Highland and the, the three squires and those comments to Ned about Robert. Um, so I, I think she was a good judge of the situation, but as I said, I don't, actually think she and Rhaegar simply ran away no (laughs) so it was more complicated
0: (laughs) definitely and one thing um that may have come up in her and Rhaegar's thought process is obviously the connections between themselves and maybe Jenny of Oldstones and uh Duncan Prince of Dragonflies and that situation it's almost it's nearly identical where a betrothal to the Lord of Storm's End is broken and to the um and there's a Targaryen prince involved. And in that situation, the rebellion that follows was just the Baratheons. The Laughing Storm didn't attract too many allies. It was kind of a one-man show. And if they're th- if they're thinking about history, as we know, Rhaegar probably did. He was a bookworm. He loved uh, libraries and learning about the past. All these other kind of things. That may have been like, okay, if things go really bad. Maybe Robert crowns himself and comes to get revenge for this. But you know. We can handle that. Like, we handled the laughing storm. We can handle Robert Baratheon. And then Ares chops off some heads and burns people alive. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh my god, (laughs) this thing that might have been kind of bad is now a thousand times worse. Mm -hmm. And I I think you can reasonably expect that perhaps there was another laughing storm rebellion. I don't think you can expect the total collapse of the dynasty as a result of their actions.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, look, they couldn't have predicted any, uh, couldn't have predicted Brandon charging off to, uh, you know, there's a a lot of theories that, um, because once Rickard finds out about Brandon Mm -hmm. being, you know, arrested, he doesn't run down there and say, well, where's my daughter? Right. He, He goes there to, Get, to answer for Brandon and to get Brandon back, right?
0: And without an uh, army,
1: right? He's 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 just simply not not really as he's far as we threatened. know threatened. You know, it, the, the Lyanna thing isn't part of his what he's there. You know, worried mm-hmm. about. He's mostly worried about Brandon, his hot-headed son, who ran into King's Landing, threatening to kill Rhaegar. Well, you know, there's a lot of theories that actually Rhaegar sent a message to. Rickard mm-hmm. Stark, uh, which actually Ned might have been privy to, which would explain why Ned doesn't think poorly of Rickard right. in in the long run. Um, it just becomes damage control at a certain point, and then things, you know, poof, uh, you know, they they couldn't control Ares either. You know, not only could they not control Brandon, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody can Ares. control Brandon. Nobody can control Brandon. Nobody could control Ares. and you know, you have to think at a certain point. Rhaegar's just like,
0: Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Cause he essentially disappears into the wilderness for a while and then comes back yeah. up and you have to think he just went like, pardon. Wh- yeah. What
1: did my father do? <laughs> yeah. When he killed when, who? Uh, you know, when Gerald Hightower, you know, went went to get him back is mm-hmm. what happened. And you know, he must've, yeah, he's probably like, Are, you're kidding me, right? Like, you're lying. <laughs> this is a joke. This is a funny like, joke. Okay. So yeah, I guess I have to go back there now and, you know, then he squares things with Ares,
0: he explains it, and he's like, well, and that, I think that's one of those points where it's like, well, why did not he just bring Lyanna back? At that point, it was not about mm-hmm. Lyanna anymore. It was about right. Ares killing the heirs and Rickard Stark. That's what the war mm-hmm. was about. And that's one of those things that like Robert's Rebellion was built on a lie. That's, that, that is a level of detail that they left out of the show. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it is absolutely true that
1: yeah,
0: when you compare it to The Laughing Storm, the reason in it, the Laughing Storm's rebellion was not a realm wide thing is because everyone was like, all right, well, calm down, Lionel. You just lost a marriage. Like, right. That's yeah. the same thing that happened with Robert. There's a difference in escalation there.
1: There is. You know, it's funny because it's <laughs> throughout all these people have these memories uh, of. Robert's Rebellion uh, mm-hmm. and Rhaegar dying for the woman he loved and, or Robert um, fighting, a, fighting a war to get back the woman he loved. It's framed as the Trojan War, right? Right. And that's and not really what it was. it was. It turns out it was really just this classic boring insurrection of the nobility against a king who broke the feudal contract and, mm-hmm. you know, denied them powers and levied ta- unfair taxes and turned out to be straight up crazy. So you know, I mean, yeah, it was the it was, she was the spark, uh, but that's not really, it's not really the cause of the rebellion. That, no, that it's followed. the cause of the
0: conflict. It's not the cause of the rebellion. Yeah, uh, let's take a few more here. Uh, we're running over a little bit on time, but um, so one here from uh, Eric F. Again, he he asks, oh, we talked about earlier, how did. Uh, Elia think about Liana. What do you think about Liana's feelings about Elia? Hmm.
1: I think you know we, we really have no idea but we could guess that maybe she felt insecure around this older sophisticated southern princess mm-hmm. kind of how Sansa felt about Marjorie sure. when they first met um, you know maybe she felt bad for her when she learned more about their about the story you know, I, you know uh, she's certainly no fool about men and women as we've discussed right. so you know um, I I would think that she probably felt some kind of empathy for her mm-hmm. in the end yeah this
0: is, this is also a thing that um, I brought up when I was doing my uh, streams about Arya Hota that I did with um Ooh. Oh, I'm I'm totally blanking. Why am I blanking on so many words and names today? Uh, with, um, I'm just gonna look this up because apparently I'm an idiot. They can't remember who I did streams with. Um, with Alicia Kingston, I am such an idiot. Alicia Kingston, we were talking about this, and not only are the Dornish not really mad about Rhaegar, they they seemingly accepted him into Dorn. Like that is not. They're not going after. Aegon, the supposed uh, son of Rhaegar, they're not going after Daenerys or Viserys. In fact, they're thinking about allying with them. So there's good reason to think that the polygamy or not the polygamy of the Targaryens kind of works well with the Dornish idea of paramours. Their uh, their idea might have been like, okay, so Rhaegar took a paramour, big, big freaking deal. Maybe Mm -hmm. they didn't know they got married or something like that, but it's not like Ilya was being disinherited along with her children. As far as they're concerned, the uh, a lot, the alliance was still intact. So I would doubt, I don't know if Liana ever met Elia. I think it's said that she was on Dragonstone in and King's Landing throughout the entire rebellion. But you can imagine being from the North though that she did, like you were talking about, probably feel a little guilty about what was going on and maybe Rhaegar tried to smooth talk it like, oh no, no, it's cool. Targaryens are known for polygamy. Elia's cool with it, with paramours and that stuff. And like, Maybe he was su- like playing that up but mm-hmm. you know you can imagine that there's probably after a while and especially after she lived in dorn for a while at the tower of joy she, she probably would have interacted with some dornish people maybe a shardane who's also in this culture would have been like um it's not a, as big of a deal as you think the war yeah. is not about you that kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um see here do you have time for a couple more oh yeah okay yeah. Let's see if we can, Oh, a uh, super chat from CamCam, Cam, $2. Thank you so much. A uh, very generous, interesting stream today.
2: Some good ideas. Thank you. No, thank you CamCam. Cam. Glad you enjoyed it. Um, uh, we, oh, one from uh, YouTube Ismael Lamego. Um, they asked,
0: do you think Ned told Benjamin about RLJ? Do you think Benjamin knew about them during or after her high end haul? We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. But mm-hmm. I think Benjen, Ned absolutely did not tell Benjen, Benjen uh, deduced it. And he's like, I know you, Ned, you are not the guy that's going to go sleeping around. Mm. But Liana was in love with that stupid silver prince. And when he figured it out is interesting. I'm curious because he was not really a part of the rebellion. He was left in Winterfell as sort of the brand figure, the prince of Winterfell, Stark while, the, the, while the true lords were away. Mm-hmm. So did he puzzle it out then? Or was it only when he, when Ned arrived back with Jon Snow?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think there's a good chance that, um, it, you know, he was aware of, of what had happened.
2: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Because I, I think that, like I said, I think Rhaegar or Orleana or both of them sent some sort of message in that would have gotten through to Rickard and explains a lot of things about the way he acted. Mm-hmm. And if the, if that's the case, then that that at least would be you know, known by both Ned and Benjen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from there, I, he might have been left wondering, you know, what was going to be the outcome of all this. And then <laughs> Ned, Ned shows up with a baby and he's like, hmm.
2: Do you want to talk about
0: this, Ned? No, I don't. Okay, we're going to talk about it anyway.
1: He is my son. Yeah. Sure, man. <laughs> sure. Okay, he's your son. Yes, he is my son. He was born in the South. Oh, where Liana was. Yes, <laughs> but it's not related. I'm not going to talk about this.
2: This is the
0: Shardane's uh, <laughs> Dane's son, and Benjen's like, "Oh, you mean the girl you were too afraid to actually dance with at Harrenhal? That's your that's your that's the woman you're you saying you had sex with."
1: <laughs> Good job, Ned. <laughs>
0: Well, especially because like Ben at that time was apparently big into teasing people that right. had to come up when he's like, you needed Brandon to even talk to her. You're not telling me you you seduce that woman, are you?
1: Right. That you somehow in the middle of fighting this war, went and found her and uh, yeah, conceived a son and then went, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Just not buying it, Ned.
0: <laughs> yeah. Not even a little bit. Uh, nope. Sort of a different question. Uh, Lorison Ann uh, asks, How is Blood Raven able to communicate to those in Westeros if the wall blocks magic? Well, I don't think it blocks all magic. Mm. Like, um, clearly he's able to contact Bran when he's in Winterfell. I'm guessing mm. that since he's involved with the Children of the Forest and the Children of the Forest seem to have built the wall, or at least been instrumental in it, they have back doors through mm the wards basically. And we know that there are back doors because the others are able to send two whites through the wall brought through by the night's watchman. And then they resurrect or they essentially stop playing dead and start attacking. So it's not that all magic is blocked. It may just be certain kinds basically.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, <laughs> like the, the weird, the, the weird net, you know, if, if that's, such a thing, if it exists in the physical realm, it's mm-hmm. underground, you know, it's like, think of one of those, those giant, um, you know, fungal, uh, you know, colony. well, it's not a colony. It's a single organism, you know, that mm-hmm. I think the largest organism on the planet is, is a fungus that yeah, it is. You know, spreads underground. So I, I envision that as it's, the weir net as something like that you know there's just uh, these kind of roots that go under Mm -hmm. and they probably go under the wall and they pop up in weirwood trees that's you know like your little portal into the whole into everything really so I don't think the wall would stop that because it seems to maybe go on the surface and up and you know keeps the dragon from flying over and (laughs) but yeah.
0: I mean, even on the physical plane, we know that the 700 foot wall that is miles long and impossible to bypass. Well, some wildlings with a bunch of mm-hmm. climbing gear are able to bypass it. So it shouldn't be surprising that the magical side is also mm. has vulnerabilities that if you know right. how to do it, then you can get around them, which I assume Blood Raven does.
1: Pregnant Direwolf managed to find her way.
0: Yeah. Well, who knows it. about that one? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is quite a weird one. Uh, quite a. Yep. Weird one. Oh! yeah. One. Um, a question here from uh, Robert. They say, what were they going to do with Ares if he lived? Whether it was Jaime or the king's justice, the result is the same. Um, I'm assuming this is after the rebellion, during the sack of King's Landing. Before, wh- What do you think Robert and Ned were going to do with the Mad King Ares? Before, if
2: Jaime did not kill him. If they caught him.
1: Um... Well, I, I guess you know they probably would have had to argue about that, wouldn't they? Because Ned would would have probably said we we can't you can't just kill him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I suppose that you know they could put him on trial and there could be a fair trial and execution for his crimes because they were obvious crimes that were committed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, you know, Robert probably would have been more to the to the impulsive, you know, whatever, what he saw in Jamie's actions, because he doesn't know the reason behind what Jamie did. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we, we can see pretty clearly that Robert applauded what Jamie did.
0: Right, He was happy (laughs) about it.
1: He just saw it as something that benefited him. Um, so, um, probably would have just been more conflict between that Robert.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Robert was, they said he was relieved when the bodies of Aeon and Rhaenys were delivered to him. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Maybe he would have done something to Ares. Maybe he would have burned him alive in response. Ned obviously would have counseled him to, um, to bring him to justice. That mm-hmm. he had, you know, the ideas that Barristan has in the show where he's like, Oh, there has to be a trial. You can't just execute people. Like, I don't know if that would have worked on Robert. And especially since Ares is like his other than Rhaegar. Who's now dead? Ares is his primary villain. I don't think he w- he would have um, listened to counsel. Like I don't th- I don't see him going to the wall. I don't see him throwing you in a dungeon. I think Robert would have absolutely taken a lot of joy in seeing Ares die. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that's probably about it. We went over a little bit, but Liana and all of her interactions and what she's doing in the world, and especially in the Winds of Winter, is just. So fascinating, just had to keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we go, um again, why don't you tell everybody what's going on with you and Radio Westeros?
1: Yeah, well, um Radio Westeros is working on uh of Winter Primer series. So we're going through uh basically every location and evaluating um all of the POVs that are in a given location, what they were up to last time we saw them, and mm-hmm. they might be doing at the beginning of the Winds of Winter. So we are uh, just finished King's Landing, which was pretty much all Cersei. <laughs> and that was fun. And uh, we're we're moving on to doing uh Dorn in the Reach next. Before we do that though, we're gonna get to part three of our Dance with Dragon Dance of the Dragon series with history of Westeros. Oh so working on that as we speak. And of course our um, we're doing bi weekly live streams now, which are usually linked up to those uh primer <laughs> series so one
0: not day. one today though next week right
1: no not one today uh next week we will be doing uh tyrells with uh lady triple from blood of the podcast oh so.
0: that will be another excellent one um let's see here what's going what am i doing next okay so i obviously i just released the um meat house man patron only episode uh let me drop that link in the chat that's available for uh, $5 and up patrons if you want to listen to that um coming up next i have uh two two videos that will essentially be uh linked to each other the first one's going to be what is the five-year gap i'm just going to do a quick rundown of what that is because every time i do a video talking about it i end up having to explain it so i'm just going to do a video be like this is what it is this is why it came about this is how it was used etc etc and then after that i'm going to be trying to unravel the question of who is the tattered prince And not only in universe, but also since a lot of the windblown seem to be lost versions of previous arcs, which arc belongs to the Tattered Prince? Like I argued previously that pretty maris is like a dark future of Brienne. So which dark future is the Tattered Prince? Especially since they only showed up after the five year gap. You just invented them for that. Anyway, um, (laughs) there's a Masoner Monthly coming up. I'm probably going to finish editing it today. That's right maester monthly we release an episode every eight months or something like that
1: (laughs) you didn't say how many monthlies
0: yeah i mean pseudo monthly we (laughs) always like to say um and uh, my crusader kings two or three streams uh continue on tuesdays at 7 p.m and i don't remember if i'm doing anything else always so much um Oh, I have to pick the next patron episode. Um, I'm thinking maybe Sand Kings. That's always a good one. But I went from, I started, I did the worst one. So maybe I should do like a very good one now to like cleanse my brain from meat house, man.
1: Do the best one.
0: What do you think is the best George story that's
2: not A Song of Ice and Fire?
1: Um, story or novel? Ooh, story. Story. Um, hmm. I don't know. I love A Song for Laya, but I, I do. I don't know. Gosh, there's, there's, a, I like a lot of the, um, kind of the shorter ones that mm. older ones. Um, but probably A Song for Laya. Uh,
0: one of his first ones.
1: I love, I love Dying of the Light.
0: Oh, I, I have that one over here. I have to read that one. I haven't gotten into it yet. Maybe I can uh, do that.
1: That is, it's wonderful. And it's his first novel. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I love it. Love it.
0: No. Chat saying Fever Dream. I'm not gonna copy not a cast, guys. Fever
1: Dream. <laughs> I'll I get like Fever F- Dream too, yeah. But yeah. This <laughs>
0: vampire horror story on a steamboat. I'll get to that one later. I wanna do my own stuff. Anyway, so we'll figure <laughs> that out. Uh maybe post a poll on Patreon or something like that. Thank you guys so much for hanging out this afternoon. Um, thank you again for Lady Gwyn for joining me and offering the the massive amount of Leon knowledge that's sitting in that head. Um, Make (laughs) sure you you. check out radio Westeros and their upcoming uh, streams and their released episodes. My favorite song of ice and fire podcast is radio Westeros. That's the one I've listened to for years. So
1: thank you. Well, you know, we've been talking to you for a long time since back on the day, back in the day on Reddit. (laughs) So That's uh, right. Thank you for always supporting us.
0: My pleasure. My favorite. Anyways, have a good (laughs) weekend, everybody. I'm going to go listen to myself talk for a lot more time as I edit audio. Have a good time. (laughs)